Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the things that matter to them. Today, we have with us, uh, you know him as Mink Staccato, but uh, Scott, your real name is Scott McKinnon. Mm-hmm. So first off, I want to ask you, Mink Staccato, what? what? <laughs> By the way, let me say, first of all, I'm so glad you did not play Pinball Wizard. Thank you for <laughs> Thank you for not doing that. It's kind of funny. Like all week, I was like, I, I wonder what Tom's gonna play, and I was like, it's it's gonna be pinball. Is it? I just know it is. So, um, so mixed staccato. There Real we go. Quick, so two confessions about that, Scott. Uh, I and this is kind of a weird thing to confess. I don't I don't like the Who at all. I don't either. Oh, good. High five right here. So here here's one reason I don't like the Who. When I was growing up, that movie Tommy came out. Yes, that, that's exactly it. That is exactly the reason I am too. They had that. Sarcophagus, uh, what is it, that uh, Iron Maiden thing, you know, with the needles in there? Do you, do you remember that scene from that movie? Well, you know, I never saw the movie. Oh, my uh, God. And partly because I used to go by Tommy when I was a boy. Oh, so, Tommy. That's right, Tommy. Yeah, so I remember being teased about that thing and, and never seeing it. I mean, you and I are about the same age. and So I didn't see it, but I was teased about it, and I was keenly aware of it. Is, is Tommy any good? Like that? What? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I mean, that's the thing is, like... Uh, and it's funny, I guess we have this in common like right away, is that I was teased about it also because I played pinball all the time. Oh, so, even back then. Wow. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Pinball's been like a thing for me all the way back. So, um, But I remember like, you know, back uh, like ages ago, back when uh, uh, we had HBO as a kid, they actually showed it on like HBO. And I caught like just like 15 seconds of it. And there's a scene where Tommy gets... Like I said, he gets caught in this Iron Maiden, and the doors close in, and on all these needles coming in. And I was like, okay, there's something I never need to see in my entire life. I just need, I never need to see that again. And so, even though I'm a pinball guy, and that's that's the whole thing about pinball, I just have completely avoided that whole scenario. And I'm not a big Who fan either. So, you know. well, as, as a horror movie aficionado, you have now made me curious to see. I did not know people were being shut into Iron Maidens in that movie, so now yeah, I'm curious. It's a drug reference or something. I can't remember. It's like when he's getting seduced by drugs. or. Oh, well, you know, it is. Uh, I might be getting too movie wonky, but it's Ken Russell, isn't it? Is uh, it? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I think it's yeah. I think it's an English director named Ken Russell, and I could even be wrong about him being English. But I think, yeah, it's like a weird, trippy drug movie. So I don't – I'm not a Who fan, so I don't own any Who, so I couldn't go with the obvious pinball wizard. Um, but that that might have been obscure as well. That of course was Nirvana, but the song is called "Drain You," and I just ah, there we go. I just associate "drain" with always you know losing the stupid ball down the down the middle of the, yeah, the table. Absolutely. So so okay. So tell me why Mink Staccato? What the heck is that? Sure thing. So Mink Staccato is uh, back when I was becoming uh, basically a DJ. I used to uh, DJ. I was looking for a DJ name, and it's you know there's so many names that are taken and everything. So I just went to an anagram generator and. <laughs> Typed in my full name, and uh, one of the first things that popped up, you know, on the list was just Mink Staccato and a bunch of random letters. And uh, I was looking at that, and I was like, Yeah, Mink Staccato. There's nobody. I'm sure nobody has Mink Staccato. And so, uh, so I started laughing about that, and then that's that just kind of snowballed. And so now, uh, yeah, Mink Staccato is my DJ name. It's my pinball instruction name, and, and it's you know, it's it's my name on on the boards, obviously, and a bunch of stuff. And it, it's it's not my name on Facebook. It's just a good way to. Uh, 
to both hide and be in plain sight. So if you know me and you're a friend of mine, then you can find me just by typing in Mink Staccato. But if, you know, if you're a, a third grader who I don't want to see ever again and you're trying <laughs> to find me on Facebook, then you can't find me. So there you go. Very nice. Uh, you said you were a DJ, and you mentioned earlier that it was 80s music. Mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. That your, is that your shtick? That and used to be, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was kind of a big thing when I was uh, when I was growing up. It was kind of pinball and '80s music, and I used to, you know, back in the awkward years when I was a teenager or earlier, uh, I used to you know, basically lock myself in my bedroom and just listen to the radio, and so I uh, became sort of a, a knowledgeable, like I have a you know a bit of music of, of '80s, and then when I. Uh, uh, I grew up in uh, Bellingham, Washington. A little shout out to the Bellingham people if there's anybody up there. Uh, and I used to uh, DJ at a place called the 3D Tavern in uh, Bellingham, Washington, which used to be a very iconic little spot. Uh, Death Cab for Cutie, before they made it big, used to ah. play there about twice a week. And uh, nobody ever went in because they were it was like, oh, the Death Cab for Cutie's playing again. And, uh, and you know, uh, Bellingham is situated in between uh, Vancouver, B.C. and Seattle, so whenever there were people that were rolling through the town, uh, they would stop in at the 3D Tavern. And so that was a – you could get a – it was really kind of a stunning little place you could meet a lot. Like the first place I ever saw Nico Case was at the 3B. There was like five people in the bar, and uh, it was just an amazing little spot. And so, yeah, I started uh, DJing uh, 80s music up there. So. Now, I, I have a dumb question for you, Scott. Sure, go ahead. When you say DJing, mm-hmm. you're just talking about playing records. You're not talking about this whole thing where you're, you're cross-fading and mixing two records, right? No, you know, I don't. I didn't <laughs> do that with 80s music because, uh, and I did try that for a while just because I thought, well, I'm not a real DJ if I'm not actually mixing it up and stuff. But uh, the, because 80s music is so specific, uh, everybody really just wants to hear it exactly the way they heard it on the radio. Ah, yes. Um, so, uh, so as it turns out, no, it's just a lot more fun to go in there and uh, just play. In fact, how, <laughs> it's funny because how I started DJing was a complete accident up there. I uh, I used to go into the night uh, that was run by somebody else up there, and it was a fairly it was it used to do okay business. And uh, but I just really loved the music, so I used to go in every Thursday night and uh, and dance. And the guy that was there who was DJing hated 80s music. He just he hated the people that liked 80s music, and he used to charge everybody for requests and stuff. And <laughs> and uh, it was he's just rotten. He was just a rotten guy. And uh, and what was really funny is that he was going to go away on vacation for uh, two weeks, and I used to go up and talk 80s music with him a little bit. And uh, he asked me one day, he was like, "So, uh, hey uh, Scott, have you ever uh, have you ever you know DJed music before?" And I was like, no, no, no. And he goes, well, oh, well, I, you know, I'm going on vacation, and I was wondering if maybe you wanted to uh, wanted to sub in for me. And I was like, oh, great, yeah, that sounds really nice. And I, you know, it wasn't until later I found out that the reason that he had asked me was because I had not DJ before, and he was worried that he was going to bring some guy <laughs> that was going to do a lot better than him, right? But the funny part was, is I loved A's music so much that when I came in. Uh, and I just sort of like, you know, I just cleaned cleaned up. Like I, I played all the music that I loved that I had known because I actually listened to the 80s music. And so uh, when he came back, uh, they actually fired him and hired me oh. as their, their new DJ. And, uh, yeah, I never forgot that. But, yeah, the owner, when he came up to me, uh, and, and this was this was a, a good lesson for me as far as how to, uh, <laughs> how to negotiate, I guess, was he came up to me and he was like, so we were thinking maybe we'd like to hire you as our new uh, – our new 80s DJ, and I was like, oh, oh that's great. And, uh, of course, I was completely new. I had no experience in everything. So I, I remember exactly, I phrased the question exactly like this. I was like, well, so are you guys, and I had, I didn't mean to do this. It was a totally accident. I said, so are you guys going to pay me what you paid the other DJ? And, and he goes, oh, no, 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 we're going to pay you a lot more than the other DJ. <laughs> uh, 
you know, and I was just, I just shut up right there. I was like, oh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, that would be perfect. Very and, uh, shrewd business. No, 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 no. That was totally, totally <laughs> accidental. I really would thought they, I was, I would have done it for free if they had wanted me to do it for free. So uh, now what is, what are the quintessential eighties songs that you play? Oh man. Uh, well, I mean, the, there's like a triple A list to eighties music is, uh, Prince, Madonna, and Michael Jackson. And those are the three. I mean, you, if you, you, you could just play a whole eighties night of just those three things and people would just go crazy for it. But I mean, you have to throw in like Jesse's girl, you have to throw in, um, God, what else? Safety dance. I mean, if you had like a top <laughs> 10 list of, you know, your triple A stuff, you know, that would be, that would be in there. I like, and then I throw in some other stuff. I like violent femmes. I like a bunch of other stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, yeah, 80s music was a big thing for me. So, and by the way, if you uh, if you're in Portland and you ever uh, go to 80s video dance attack, uh, that was something I helped uh, kind of co-create on that. So uh, that's a little shout out to 80s video. That's at uh, the Crystal Ballroom. That's always a lot of fun. So. And what what exactly is that? That's just an 80s music night. Uh, yeah, it's 80s music night with uh, videos, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's a it's a good little setup they got there. So. So do you actually own a bunch of uh, a bunch of vinyl? Uh, no, actually, you know, I, I have to admit that uh, once I got out of the game, I got out of the game for good. So the uh, I, I sold everything and got rid of everything, and I am a proud, proud uh, uh, non-owner of any 80s music at this point. I, I've kind of gotten out of the, the DJ game. So uh, wait a minute, when you say non-owner, surely you've got a, an iPod full of this stuff or something? No, no, no. Are you kidding? I don't even want to touch my iPod with that stuff. I, uh, I, wait, whoa, whoa, I, what, what, this, what, what's going on? <laughs> I don't know. I just got tired of the whole thing. I, I mean, I did it for a long time. I did 80s DJing for probably a decade. And so, I, if, I mean, if I, you know, when I'm walking, and the thing is, you can't really escape it, too. So, like, if I'm walking around the grocery store now, and all of a sudden I hear, you know, Time After Time by Cindy Lauper, I just kind of roll my eyes, and I'm like, oh, my God. I just, I really kind of wanted to get away from it. So Not when like, you're when you're doing homework or whatever? You don't want to just hear some Eurythmics or whatnot in the no, background? No, 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 seriously, I, I kind of... Uh, I kind of just went the full-on opposite direction. It's sort of okay. like an adaptation when the uh, that uh, that guy was like, no more fish. You know, fish is gone. There's just no more fish. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you uh, you don't do that anymore. You're a student these days, mm-hmm. uh, and you just had a midterm today. Yep. Uh, what was your midterm in? French, which Ooh. I hate. How did it go? Uh, badly. Um, was it an oral thing or a written midterm? Written midterm. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's kind of weird. I'm, a, I'm an art major at the University of Oregon, so go Ducks. As, uh, and you, you know, said that before. What, what, why, are, <laughs> why are you rooting for waterfowl? What's, what's wrong with oh my God, swans? It, and, there's so many listeners right now that are into college football that that are are falling over dead right now. So the the, the Oregon Ducks, the I'm at uh, I'm in the uh, University of Oregon right now, and the the football team is the Ducks. They are ranked number one in the country right now. And that is their actual name, Ducks. The, the Ducks. Yes. Wait a minute. Right. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to call you up. <laughs> we have already used that name here in Southern California, I believe. That name is taken. Ducks aren't Ducks. Uh, some sort of hockey team in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Okay, you guys can't have that name. You have to no, pick right. up a new name. I'm sorry, but we have that name. It's uh, that's just the way it is. It's the Oregon Ducks. That's, All right, uh, and and that's, so that's a big deal up there. You guys care about your uh, your endearingly named football team. Oh yeah, well I'm not a huge football guy, but you know I remember <laughs> I remember specifically, and it's, it's such a weird local thing. It's like the, when I first moved to Eugene, and this was about like two years ago. I uh, went in to open up a bank account, and I went into the bank, 
And uh, I was, you know, she was like, okay, well, let's do this, and you know, what's your name, and all this stuff. And then we were leaving. When I was leaving, she was like, okay, well, uh, go ducks. And then it was just it. Was like, <laughs> like, have a nice day. Yeah. That, I mean, and then I went to the grocery store. Like right after that, I went to the grocery store, and the guy that was behind the counter there did the exact same thing. And I realized that around here, they do it instead of saying, okay, well, goodbye, I'll see you later. It's go ducks. I mean, that's how ingrained it is in this town. It is crazy. And so I've gotten to the point where I just like, you know, oh, yeah, go ducks, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of, you know, when I'm getting my coffee early in the morning. It's what I mumble under my breath as I'm, you know, wandering away, you know. And, and people don't say it ironically. They mean it. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. They mean it. They totally mean it. This town is a crazy football town. And, uh, I mean, it's fun. I mean, when you go up to the campus, uh, I'm not, like I said, a huge football person, but you sort of get sucked into the vortex sometimes, you know. And everybody's wearing green and yellow, and, and game day, like, nobody can concentrate on school, and everybody's talking about what they're going to do for the game. And I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. They are, I mean, they're, they're probably going to go to the Rose Bowl this year if they if they keep it up. I mean, they are ranked the number one college football team. So, uh, so that's kind of interesting, you know, even though I'm not a, I'm not a sports man myself. So. Wait, ranked by whom? Who's, who's in charge of saying the Ducks are number one? It's something called, the, I think it's called the BCS poll. And the only reason, I mean, that's how big it is in this town, is that I know absolutely nothing about football, and I know that they're ranked in the BCS poll. I couldn't tell you what that poll means. Okay. Um, right. Yeah, so it's just a, it's a huge thing here in Eugene. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah, that's a... Uh, all right, so you so you had for on behalf of your your precious ducks, uh, mm-hmm. you had a midterm on campus uh, in French. Yeah, you said oh it God. went poorly. Uh, did. So you're an art major. You've got to know French for that. Like, is there a language requirement for uh, an art degree? Yeah, and that's the thing is like, so I'm technically I kind of consider myself a math based person. I'm not really an art based person. But the thing is, is that the reason I'm here is to study photography, and uh, it's funny that I hadn't really thought it through too far in advance i you know I, I was accepted by the university and i came here and i thought okay i have to declare a major and and then once i looked it up i'm like oh my god i'm an art major like i never i used to <laughs> i used to make my i used to make fun of art majors you know it's like the the most expensive useless piece of paper you can possibly buy is an art degree and i i say that lovingly i mean i have lots of friends who are art majors and art you know art graduates and we used to and they used to say the same thing they would be like oh my art major it's just ridiculous and so when I came here and realized I was an art major, I realized a whole number of things were going to go wrong for me from that point forward. I mean, I have to take drawing courses. I, I mean, the reason I take photos is because I can't draw. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, I, and, and the big stumbling block was is if I were a science major, I could be taking science classes right now. And I'd be totally fine with that. I could step into a calculus class pretty much cold, you know, completely cold and kind of know what I'm doing. And instead, what I have to do is take two years of a foreign language. And uh, I took two years of French back in high school, back in the 1800s. And uh, <laughs> and so I kind of know French a little bit. And so I thought, well, that'll be the easiest thing to take. And uh, <laughs> and it sucks. I mean, I'll be honest. I just do not want to take these classes. And uh, But that's fine. I mean, I have to do it. I, I, it's sort of like every day I have a one-hour root canal in the afternoon, and I get to do that for the next two years. <laughs> now, your French test today... What kind of stuff was it? Like, je m'appelle Scott, like that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, uh, uh, well, see, that's the problem is that I can – we're in week five now of my French classes, and the first four weeks I felt pretty confident. I mean, I could say I have a pencil. My pencil is blue. And I could tell you that my name was this, and I lived here. And now we're starting to get into things like uh, – Oh, gosh. I mean, oh, oh, a good example is, like, we're learning uh, numbers, right? And and this will sound so 101 to everybody that, out there that knows French, but the numbers the numbers in French from 1 to 50 are pretty straightforward, but when you get to 60 to 90, you start getting these weird things where, like, the French, the way they say the number 96 
is they say 4-20-16. That's how they say the number 96, is they say 4-20-16. In other words, 4 times 20 plus 16. And that's, so if you were saying, you know, 1996, ah. they would say 1,900 for 2096. And I was like, you're kidding me. Like, this is this is the way that they say this stuff. And it, as soon as they got into, like, weird sort of parameters where we're, you know, we're conjugating verbs and doing all this stuff, I'm so screwed. I know that. I, and I have, like I said, it's week five and it's in, in two years ahead of me. So I'm, I really need to get serious about it. The only reason that I didn't uh, do fairly well on this test is that I had, uh, uh, you know, I had other midterms kind of going. I'm taking the history of photography right now and... Uh, I'm taking uh, basically photograph uh, 101 kind of black and white art art photography, and, and I got all three of those in a superstorm of midterms, and I basically had to pick which one was going to be the sacrificial lamb, and uh, it turned into the French. So there you go. And you got that out of your out of the way this afternoon. So congratulations. Okay. Thank you. I'm now drinking wine and uh, and talking to Tom Chick about pinball, so I kind of feel like there we go. There. Now before we move on from the French, I, I, I want to hear some Scott. Let, let's j- just give me one line in French and do roll out the whole you know whatever accent. Pretend I'm your French teacher and you've got to impress me and make make yourself sound fluent. Okay. <laughs> so come on, say something in French. Go. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, first of all, let me say ducks is les canards. Okay, we figured this out like this is day one. So les canards. So uh, allez-vous les canards, I believe, is go ducks. <laughs> Uh, I'll lay lay canards. Sorry. Otherwise, that was uh, you go ducks. You go ducks. (laughs) You go ducks. Uh, No, no, no. Je m'appelle Scott. Uh, uh, Je suis trente-neuf ans. J'aime le jeu vidéo et pinball. (laughs) Scott, let me hand it to you. You definitely sound like a fifth-week French student. Why, thank you, sir. Thank you. I take pride. I take pride in my five weeks of French that I have that I have ignored. Now, you you mentioned earlier that you used to work at a, a wind and power company. Yeah, yeah. In in Portland, Oregon, I worked for a company called Ibadrola Renewables. They were uh, a really great wind power company. Actually, a lot of really good people work in there. Uh, so they, these are folks that make. I, I just in my head, I'm thinking of folks that make windmills. Like we have a whole bunch of windmills out here in. Uh, like on the way to Palm Springs, is mm-hmm. is that the kind of stuff that? Uh... Yeah, absolutely. They they kind of are a green energy company overall, so it's not just wind. Uh, they, they're primarily wind, but they used to deal with natural gas and a few other things. And uh, they, but they are uh, at least, if I remember correctly, they they were uh, they had just made an acquisition that made them the uh, the the country's largest wind power company. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was good. It was nice. Actually, it was really nice working for them. It's nice to work for a company that you can feel pretty good about what they're doing. So, what kind of work did you do for them? Uh, I was sort of a glorified accountant, mm-hmm. um, but they eventually decided that they wanted to move my position down to Houston, uh, Texas, and I really didn't feel like moving down to Houston. So, uh, and there were a few other things going on in my life at that point that sort of were put a big uh, period on the end of the sentence that was coming before, and then started up with a new sentence. So I. Uh, uh, decided to kind of drop everything and uh, go with. Well, I'd never gone to college. That was one of those things. So, uh, so this is for me. It's like a, uh, kind of doing uh, living the dream now. So I decided that I'd go back to college and uh, get my uh, get my degree. So why art? <laughs> not art, because I I'm not, I don't like the fact that I'm an art major. Uh, I love photography. I've always been a photography nerd. Uh, but the thing is, is I've always done digital, and uh, I've never done any darkroom work. I've never done any developing and there's a big uh, uh, difference in between, you know, in between digital and film. And with digital, you can sit down in a shoot and do a thousand pictures, and it's not such a big deal. 
Uh, with film, you really do have to think about what you're doing before you even pull the trigger on that. And uh, what I really want to do is, is, since film, in my opinion, is sort of a dying art, uh, that film photography uh, is, is kind of going away. Uh, I really wanted to make sure that I learned that side before I before it disappeared completely, and in theory at least, what I'll end up doing is taking the best of both of those worlds so I can have the uh, the technology on the digital side but the, the sort of instinct on the film side and combine them two into uh, uh, a higher... This, I'll start sounding pretentious. A very higher art. <laughs> You've already spoken French, so yeah, you yeah, can't no, get no. any worse. Now, let me, let me ask Scott, Scott, are there people... Uh, is film still an important way for... Uh, how photography as an art form is expressed? Does that does that matter? Because um, I can't help but wonder: Is it like people talking about how vinyl sounds warmer than digital? Uh, obviously, I imagine there are a lot of artists who deal with photography who really care about film. But on, on a larger scale, does that matter? Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that is a huge thing in the world of photography right now. Especially, you have digital, you have Photoshop. It's sort of. Uh, I mean, it's sort of equivalent to when photography first was invented for painters, because uh, before mm. photography came around, painters were spending all of their time and energy trying to make the most realistic portraits, the most realistic, you know, looking whatever. And then photography came around, and suddenly the uh, the artists had to find a new focus, which is where a lot of like you know the uh, surreal surrealism and express. <laughs> this is where I get around. Tom chick. Let me explain to you <laughs> about the whole art world. Uh, so expressionism and realism started, you know, branching out from that. And by the way, I would just like to say I know for a fact that during this podcast, I'm going to say 16 things that are just completely idiotic and dumb. And I was like worried about that earlier. So I know that <laughs> for all the people that are listening out there, look, I know I'm not an expert in any particular, even pinball. I am not an expert in any subject. So because I know it's going to happen. This is, this is the vision I had in my head before mm-hmm. we started this thing. Right? Yeah, paint the worst case scenario for yeah, that. Yeah. So I'm going to be like a Tom Chick. <laughs> I remember <laughs> pinball was invented in 1997 by Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> and the first pinball machine was Jurassic Park. And it was invisible and had 17 flippers. And I'm an expert on this subject. So, you know, I just know that I know for a fact that I'm going to say just a bunch of dumb stuff on this So. So if I'm saying anything about the art world that, you know, your art majors and art, you know, doctorates out there know different than I apologize in advance. This is just, you got to realize I'm a student. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, uh, so with photography, yeah, it, it, it advancing like to nowadays with digital, I mean, cameras are so popular, so easy. You can, you can make a high quality photo with just a, a really, really cheap camera now. And so there's this strange thing where, uh, in the art world, I mean, it, uh, you do definitely get more respect if you're actually working on film as opposed to digital. Uh, and, of course, if you, you're thinking like high art and if you're thinking uh, actual value, like commercial artwork, um, having an individual object is still more important. So, you know, a print that you've made that's hanging in a gallery somewhere is definitely going to be more wow. valuable than something that you can just download and everybody can print up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, yeah, it's a really interesting time in the art world. In fact, it's, a, it's exactly the wrong time to try and come become a photographer because... Uh, I mean, it used to be that if somebody wanted a really great, you know, I mean, even in the realm of like wedding photography, if somebody wanted a really great photographer, they had to go out and hire somebody and you could make a living doing that. And now you can just get, you know, cousin Edna to come over with her little snapshot camera and take a bunch of photos and they look pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so I'm, I'm, this is definitely sort of a, a selfish thing that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because I really love photography. I'm doing this because it's really what I want to do. Uh but then, then again, I do have some advantages as far as 
um, I mean, what I'm hoping to do is when I graduate is just grab a laptop and a camera and just kind of go. Like, I, I want to be able to travel the world. And, I mean, I'm in a, in a unique position that I don't have a house. I don't have any kids. I don't, you know, I'm not married. I, I, I literally could just grab my passport, a camera, and a laptop and then just walk out the door. And uh, so... Uh, are you are you, are you working on a four-year degree right now? Yeah, and then right after that, I'm hoping to probably get my uh, BFA, which would be a fifth year. Uh, that's still up in the air about whether or not that would happen here at the U of O or not. So uh, you've got a, you've got a ways to go before you're gadding about with a laptop and a camera. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I've got a couple years here in Eugene at least, which is kind of driving me crazy. But <laughs> now you you mentioned uh, that you've always been into photography. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how did this start? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, I used to be into film. I, I used to be a huge film nerd. In fact, that's the reason I moved to Portland was to go study film. But that, uh, that sort of fell through. And then I went to my backup plan of like bartending and, uh, then eventually the wind power company. But, uh, in the, in the meantime, in the last like five or six years, I, I, I was given like a, one of those little point and click cameras and, and, uh, you know, I, I used to just, I like to go for walks late at night. That's one of the things that I do just sort of for, to relax and kind of be Zen. And, and while I was out on these walks, I would see all of these different little, vignettes or scenes or whatever and i'd be like oh, i really want to take a picture of that and i finally got to the point where i was smart enough to actually bring my camera with me on these and then i started taking the photos i'd come back home and download them and tweak them a little bit and then as time went on i got more and more into it a little more passionate about it and a little more artistic with my photos and uh and then eventually i just realized that you know if i'm doing this for fun and i really really enjoy it then if i could find a way to make a living at it then you know hey i'm i'm in mm-hmm. and uh and plus, I mean, I'm, I'm a big, as far as, like, traveling goes, I really like seeing things that I've never seen before. And so I was trying to work out this uh, this philosophy of being able to just, you know, jump on a plane and, and disappear and then, you know, take a bunch of photos. I mean, sure. it sounds, sounds pretty good to me. So It sounds awesome. I'm very jealous. <laughs> well, if I can actually get a job. You know, in, in three years, Tom, I'll be working at a McDonald's and, like, <laughs> in Des Moines. And, uh, but uh, for your vacation, for your you know, when you have uh, three days off from the McDonald's, you'll yeah. you'll you'll drive to a small town with your laptop and your camera and uh, exactly. take uh So, uh, what is it like going back to school now uh, at our age? Like, what is? Are you surrounded by uh, ditzy twenty-year-olds? Is oh, it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, no, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's great. There's there's a big yeah. There's a. <laughs> It is both wonderful and horrendous at the same time. Uh, I am surrounded by a bunch of kids, and uh, a lot of them are really amazing. I mean, you know, there's a good, there's a good, amazing set of people just about everywhere. But they are, oh my God, they're so young. <laughs> they are so so young. But they know and, everything, right? <laughs> well, they no, well, they know everything <laughs> about Facebook. I mean, it's like it's it's pretty stunning i mean everybody is uh, i really do kind of wonder what it would be like to go to college uh before the invention of the laptop before the invention of the cell phone before the ipod and, i mean i really do uh i'm really curious about that because it, it's sort of everyone has become their own kind of island uh walking around and i and i do see people that are sitting in class with their laptop open and they're you know they're buying stuff on ebay you know and that's i mean that happens all the time and, and the professors are frustrated by it and uh but you got to realize that I'm, I mean, I'm there for a completely different reason than most people are there. I don't, I'm not there for the job afterwards. I'm not there just because I finished high school and I didn't know what to do. Um, I'm there because I actually want to learn the material. And so, uh, and I'm also like the same age as the professors there. So I, I tend to relate to the professors pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other students, I mean, it's, uh, I know there's a, <laughs> I had at least two or three different guys that are like, oh my God, you're going back. Oh, it's good. It's like a fantasy. It's like the, it's like the idea of opening up a bar. You know, it's like, your life is going to be amazing, Scott. Like, you're going to 
hot women left and right, and you're going to have a lot of, you know, it's, it is totally not that. I mean, first of all, there yes, there are beautiful women uh, up there on campus, but there are lots of beautiful men that the beautiful women are very interested in. You know, they look at me, and they're like, oh, Grandpa, hi, how's it going? You know, and then it's like they move on to the next thing, and, and they're all there, uh, you know, they're doing the regular college stuff. They're doing the party and the drinking and <laughs> and the drugs that the kids do. Now, uh, Scott, what fraternity are you pledging? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I have my own little apartment. Thank you. <laughs> Although I did think about doing like a book. Uh, like I was thinking about writing a book where I was, I had, you know, three years of school ahead of me. And I really kind of sort of in the eat, uh, what was it, eat, love, pray sort of genre of books where I thought I, what I should do is, is pitch this and then get an advance so that the first year I could be in the dorms. And then the second year I could be in a frat, and then in the third year I could be with roommates, and then I could have you know blogged all about. Ah, that. right, right. Yeah, and that, that would have been probably. And then of course you know, John Cusack would have played me in the movie. So. <laughs> I can't imagine though, Scott, going back and living in a dorm again. I, mean, I know, I, isn't that awful? Awesome? <laughs> no, it would just be terrible. I think. I just, oh, good lord. I think it'd be hilarious for like it would have no, it would have been torturous. I mean, don't get me wrong, it would have been just been the worst thing ever. But I, as, as a life experience, I think it would have been just hilarious. Did you see Social Network by any chance? Mm-hmm. No, I haven't gone yet. I haven't. Uh, I'm so not, it, uh, it just it said at Harvard, uh, and I, I I was at school briefly there, and, and it was just so weird seeing a uh, a portrait of what student life is like at Harvard in, uh, you know, this would have been 10 years ago or so. Uh, and I was there, I guess, 20 years ago. So uh, it's so weird seeing, yeah, I recognize that place. Yeah, I recognize that sort of general atmosphere. But everybody's got laptops open in the in the classroom. And, uh, you know, everybody's got a, a computer in their room. And there's all the networking stuff and, and the social networking that led to Facebook. Like all of that is was, was not there when I was in school. Uh, and it's so odd seeing that portrayed, uh, you know, that, that college environment portrayed with all those trappings, which is what you must be living right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've spoken with some of the professors that have been around longer, and, you know, they said it sort of just sprung up overnight. And so they're still kind of dealing with all of that. I mean, uh, some of the professors don't allow laptops. Uh, definitely, I mean, cell phones are not, you know, not a big thing in the classroom, although people whip them out and text all the time during class. And uh, uh, it definitely... I, I mean, this is just my opinion. It just seems to definitely uh, lower the um, uh, the quality of the class by having you know half the people that are uh, not really present there. I would I would really uh, like to. Oh, a few of my classes they've completely banned all electronics, and those are the classes that I seem to enjoy the most. So now, do you uh, how do do you take notes? Like, how do you take notes without a laptop? It seems uh, odd. I, I use this uh, old technology that is called pencil and paper, and, uh, uh, and that's, that's that also, yeah, exactly. It's a uh, it, it sets me it definitely sets me apart uh, from <laughs> the other students. They they probably think I don't know how to use a laptop, which is of course really funny. Um, is that like no, pencil and paper where you have that that well of ink and you dip the feather in? It? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is, and I keep a check index to me just in case uh, it gets dull. <laughs> I do have to say, Scott, I love, love, love pencils. I'm oh, yeah. a huge fan of a newly sharpened pencil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I tend to just, uh, I'll just be puttering around the house doing whatever and discover that at some point during the day I've put a pencil behind my ear. Uh, there you go. Just there. So I'm a huge pencil fan. What's funny is that I normally like pencils, but uh, for the tests I use ink only because in the middle of a test I get so sort of 
not stressed, but I'm just focused that I end up breaking these pencils left and right. And I uh-huh. get so, you know, if you, there's nothing worse than being in the middle of a med term. And all of a sudden, hearing that, like, snap noise. And then, like, your pencil's broke. You're like, oh, my God, I just want to answer this question and move on. And so, uh, okay, so a couple things before we move on to pinball that I want to ask you about. Uh, what was your first tattoo? Oh, my first... <laughs> uh, let's see. My first tattoo was... Uh, I have tattoos on my arms. Uh, I have kind of lines. It, it, so uh, I have uh, an abstract artwork is basically the way my tattoos work, which it, unless you actually see it doesn't, it sounds, again, very pretentious and doesn't, you know, make it a lot of sense. Uh, but I like minimalism. I like symmetry. And so I started uh, when I was 28. I got a few lines on my, uh, both my left and right forearms that are uh, symmetrical and just go straight up. Uh, it's interesting, too, because uh, when I was wearing, like, a sort of shirt or long sleeve shirts, everybody would look at me and go, are those snakes? I used to get that all the time, are those snakes? And I'd be like, no, they're just black lines that go up my arms. Uh, um, it's kind of funny how I got that, though. Is, is, um, <laughs> uh, it depends. Like, do you want to hear the five-second version of this story, or do you want to hear, like, the three-minute version of the story? I can... Give me the three-minute version. Oh, all right. I'll, I'll whip it out. Right? Let's, so, yeah, let's, I, let's compare tattoo notes. Okay, cool. So I used to be a reverend. I used to do weddings. And Whoa, well, now I definitely want the three-minute version. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it takes so, five minutes if you need to. <laughs> all right, so a long time ago, and this is this is also part of the Mink Staccato persona, as I used to do uh, uh, weddings as Mink Staccato. And what I would do is uh, I would... Uh, first of all, all this was free. I would tell people, no, I just you know, I just want to show up and flirt with your uh, flirt with your bridesmaids <laughs> and drink your wine and and you know whatever and eat your food. Uh, but I had this sort of persona that I used to do that was that was sort of this like drunk rock star kind of thing. So I would I would show up with, like in leather pants and like a you know like a, have a flask of whiskey on me and I would just it was sort of it was it was almost akin to Johnny Depp in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies before before he actually came out, you know. <laughs> I know, it's horrible, right? Like, as, a, as an adult now, I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, what was I doing? You inflicted that upon people's weddings. No, 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 people, no, no, you, you, no, Tom, you got it all wrong. I would, I, the first time I did this, I did it for my friends who owned a tattoo parlor, and it was, it just sort of snowballed from there. Like, at every wedding that I did that, I would have three couples come up to me after the wedding and be like, you have to be the reverend at our wedding. You have to do it. And I of course, at that point, by the end of the wedding, I am drunk. I mean, like, that wasn't, I wasn't faking that. I would get drunk in this wedding, you know, and I'd be like, ah, stop, great, I don't do it, better. And then I'd give them my card, and I'd get a call the next day to be like, who the hell are you? And, and I'd end up doing the wedding. So, but the very first one was for a couple that owned a tattoo parlor. And, uh, I, you know, they had said, like, so what are we going to pay you for being a reverend? I said, no, you're not going to pay me anything. I'm not going to, I'm going to do this for free. And, and they said, well, if you ever need a tattoo, then, then you should come into the shop. And I was like, oh, that's great. So flash forward about, gosh, it'd be like three or four years, and I haven't really talked to the couple all that much. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I'd, I'd seen him every once in a while. And so, but I started dating this young girl, and she and I had decided that we would exchange tattoos for Christmas one year. And I said, oh, it's perfect. I got, I got, I got an in on this. So I uh, went into the tattoo parlor and with my friend, or with my girlfriend at the time, and, and, the, and the woman that was behind the counter was kind of being a little cold with me, but I hadn't spoken with her like in a year and a half or whatever. And uh, so we made our appointments. We, you know, we got the whole thing set up. And I uh, went in to get the tattoo, and I had never gotten a tattoo before, and everybody always said, oh, it hurts a lot, you know, and then there were other people that get tattoos and say, oh, it doesn't hurt at all. And But I was in the chair, and the woman that, you know, I hadn't seen in a while who had been the reverend for a wedding was, like, doing my tattoo, and it really hurt. I know, yeah. I mean, Don't let like, anyone tell you it doesn't hurt. <laughs> I mean, no, but it really, like, I was sitting there, like, gritting, and I'm pretty good yep. with pain. If I know pain is coming, I, I can be okay with it. Like, I can steal myself for it. And it really, really hurt. And so she got through one arm, and she was on the other arm, and... 
And while I'm there in the chair, uh, uh, her husband walks in. And he walks in, you know, like through the door, and he looks at me. And, I hadn't, again, I hadn't seen these guys in a long, long time. And he looks at me, and he's like, hey. And I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, very cheer, cheerful and everything. And uh, and he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I thought it was pretty obvious at that point that I was getting a tattoo. <laughs> and I said, I'm getting a tattoo. And I said, so what are you doing here? And he goes, I'm here to serve the divorce papers. Ooh. And I was, and, I, and it suddenly clicked. And I looked down, and she is just digging into my arm with the, with the tattoo, you know, gun. And I suddenly, everything clicks. And I realized that she associates me with the wedding. And she is going through this horrible divorce. And I just happened to, like, get right back into their lives right as this horrible thing is going on. And, and it was, like, the worst Worst case scenario you could possibly ever imagine as far as tattoos go. And so, uh, in fact, when I went to get the tattoo, uh, when I went to get the tattoo touched up, like about a year later, because the tattoo ended up being a little rough, the guy that was behind the counter had actually said to me, he's, uh, you know, I, I was telling him this story because at this point it was a funny story that I tell at parties. And, uh, and he actually said to me, he's like, yeah, you know, the, the moment I saw you, I realized that something was going on with those tattoos because those are like the deepest worst tattoos. I'm surprised you don't have a scar on your arm from those tattoos. And I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, uh, so that's how, that's how I got my first tattoo. So it wasn't the girl's, the girlfriend at the time. It wasn't her name or anything like that. Back then you knew enough to yeah. get, to get abstract and have something timeless. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I got like Tweety Bird, or like right across my chest. I mean, that's you know, <laughs> the standard one. But no, 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 it's just, it's just big lines. Uh, and if you ever see, like, if you ever see it in person, you can tell that they're, uh, they're sort of, I have to, you know, I have to say they're a little different from what other people get as tattoos. So it's definitely abstract artwork. So see what you're describing. I'm imagining like like, like Picasso or like one of those <laughs> one of those tribal band things. Or I don't I don't quite know. I know, what yeah, it's image to go with. It's just uh, delicately curved lines. I mean, I, I, right. I really can't go. If you guys want, you you know, you, I guess you can check on my. Uh, I have a blog. I have two blogs. One that I ignore and. And one that I abuse, you know, like children. And uh, and one of the, if you go to, <laughs> we can't go, just friend you on Facebook. You can friend me on Facebook. That's totally fine. <laughs> or you can go to my blog is uh, twenty years late to the party. If you type that in, uh, that's the one that about me going back to college. So uh, ah, probably, nice, nice. I like that. There's probably a, a picture on there of me with my tattoos, so you can see what they look like. Uh, do you ever have to, or feel that you have to hide them? No, actually, you know, it's funny that. Uh, a lot of people, when they see tattoos, my, first of all, my mother cried when she saw them. The very first thing, she burst in tears, and she said, you know, I'm just so, you know, oh, God, I'm just so worried. You're going to be an old man, and you're going to look at them, and you're going to regret them. And, and, and I told her, I was like, Mom, you know, I don't think there's any 90-year-old guys out there that look down at their arms and go, God, I'd be such a hottie if I just didn't have these tattoos on my arms. You know, it's like I've forgotten about them. Like I, I don't see them at all anymore. And so it's not, you know, some people think, oh, and it's true if I had a joke, but if I had a Tweety Bird, you know, across my chest, I probably would mm -hmm. at some point go, you know, maybe that wasn't such a smart move. But um, no, no, I mean, the pieces that I have on my arm, uh, uh, they're definitely an art piece. You know, every every 10 years I get them extended a little bit, and uh, uh, it, it, it's still, you know, it's kind of a work in progress. I love them, but... But I, the thing is, is that I don't think about them. I don't, you know, I just, they've just become, it's like my ear. It's not like I look at my ear and go, right. wow, that's, you know, a different part of my body. Um, so uh, the only thing is, I, you know, every once in a while I'll go in for a job interview or something and I'll have to be like, yes, well, I have tattoos. And the thing is, the Pacific Northwest is kind of interesting that, um, especially Portland and Seattle, uh, they just don't care. Like I, I've gone in, like the, the wind power job, I went in to, uh, to the interview on that. 
And, uh, you know, I, I, and I like being straightforward. I went into the interview, and I, and I mean, I sat down, and I said the very first thing. I said, look, I have these tattoos on my arms. If it's a problem, really, just let me know. I'd much rather – I don't want to have to go through the rigmarole of an hour-long interview. If you know, like, in the first 10 seconds, I'm not going to work here. And they just kind of looked at me like, are you crazy? Like, half the people that work here have tattoos and piercings. It's, like, it's completely accepted in the city of Portland. So, right. um, so no, no, I don't, I don't regret it at all. In fact, I, I, I rather like my tattoos. So – now you mentioned earlier you said Eugene is driving you crazy. What what's behind that? What's wrong with Eugene? Uh, there's, I mean, Eugene is a very small town. Mm-hmm. It's a, the campus is gorgeous. The college is great, uh, but the town itself is pretty damn tiny. It reminds me again a lot about Bellingham, the, the city I grew up in, except that I actually like Bellingham a lot more. Um, I'm just a big city guy, you know. I like a, I like a uh, art house cinema. I like uh, restaurants. I'm, I'm a foodie. I'm a total huge foodie, and. Uh, uh, I like midnight releases on on video games, you know. I mean, like I'm a I'm a big city kind of guy, and Eugene is just a tiny town. And uh, uh, great people, the people are really nice. It's this is a total, you know, like it's a hippie town. Everybody's really uh-huh. cheerful and friendly. Everybody's smoking pot and drinking bourbon, and you know, every, they, this is the most relaxed, chill town you could possibly be in. But I I need a little, you know, I need a little action in my life. So. Can you not? Is there nowhere you can go for a midnight release of like you know, you know Call of Duty is next week? Where are you going to go at midnight to pick up your copy? Oh, uh, I probably am not going to get it for a while at least. I mean, it, it's one of those things that, and that's actually another thing is like video games in general or games in general. Uh, you know what? I know <laughs> this is the perfect example of what is wrong with Eugene, and this kind of branches. This will help you segue into pinball. Is that when I first moved to Eugene? Uh, I had been looking for pinball machines up here, and uh, I'd gone to a bunch of bars, and I'd find it like one neglected machine in the back, and the left flipper wouldn't work, and you know, you put your quarter in, you wouldn't get a credit, and I was really getting frustrated. And I'd been here for about like a month and a half, and couldn't find a machine. And uh, right across the street from my apartment, there is a uh, uh, 24-hour espresso stand, and I went up there and, and talked to the woman behind the counter, and I said, you know, uh, this is kind of a weird question. I said, but do you know of any pinball machines around here? And she goes, ah, pinball, pinball. You know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that like about four or five years ago, there was some kind of thing where they, they, they got rid of all the pinball machines because they, they, it was like immoral or something. You know, and I was, and I just looked at her like, you're kidding me. I was like, like as far as I know, I'm the world's only pinball instructor, and I moved to a town that doesn't have any pinball machines. You know. I thought they felt like Kevin Bacon in Footloose. I wanted to be like, let's go downtown and scream, like, pinball, baby, let's do this. You know, it's okay. You know, I wanted to find John Lithgow. Right. And, you know. um, so, no, that's yeah, one of the things that, like, if you go to Portland, there's an arcade in Portland called Ground Control uh, that is, it is one of the best uh, arcades on the West Coast. I mean, it is amazing. And they have about, I, I, I don't know, I'm going to get this wrong too, but I think they have about like 30 or 35 pinball machines there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, and, and Portland in general is just a, a pinball city. In fact, uh, it's kind of turning into the, the pinball city in the U.S. So uh, you can go to, there's a uh, there's an iPhone app that's called Portland Pinball Map, I think, where you can find all the machines <laughs> and all the stuff. I mean, Portland is the town for pinball, and it's sort of, you know, it's a, it's you know, it's kind of like uh, leaving there was sort of cutting off my own foot. How know. far are you from Portland? Uh, I'm about 110, 120 miles, so it's not that bad. I get up there about once a month. 
Uh, but it's still like a, you know, basically it's a two-hour drive up there. I'm going to head up there this weekend. I'm going up for a poker tournament. So So then where do you, where, you you mentioned you live in an apartment. I'm assuming you don't own any pinball, actual pinball machines. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. Uh, Have you ever, by the way? I have not. And, uh, you know, I I owned a house in Portland briefly, and uh, the plan was, uh, this is back when I was working for the wind power company, and, and kind of before... Um, my life just took a different trajectory is that I really, uh, that was the, the, the next step. You know, I bought a house, mm-hmm. I purchased a home, and I thought, okay, great, now I can start collecting machines. And uh, pinball machines are actually not that expensive to buy. Uh, the, some of the some of the newer ones, the, the Williams machines, the really good ones, they are, you know, they're a couple grand each. But um, but you can pick up a really great, I mean, older machine for three to 500 bucks, and they're in, they're in pretty good shape. And so I, you know, I'd look forward, really look forward to buying one of my own machines. And then uh, once I became a college student, you know, and now I'm in an apartment, it's just, I, I don't even have room for my bike. You know, it's like I have to, I, there's no way I could keep a pinball machine here. But uh, So where do you go? Do you, when's the last time you played analog, real-world pinball? Analog. Analog pinball. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that would be Portland. Yeah, I mean, at Ground Control, okay. they, have a, they have a couple of them. Uh, that was probably about a... Uh, about a month ago, I went up for I went up for my birthday uh, about a month ago, and that was a whole other thing. I finally <laughs> I finally beat uh, a machine called Attack from Mars. So, like uh, some of the people out there that are probably into pinball, if they're if they're hardcore pinball people, they're going to now know I'm a complete idiot because so uh, saying that I have not beaten Attack from Mars is sort of like saying you're a uh, you're a film buff but you've never watched Godfather <laughs> one and two. <laughs> I mean, like seriously, like this is a, a source of embarrassment for me as a as a pinball person. Uh, I had never ruled the universe on Attack from Mars. That's sort of, a, 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 you know, it's definitely like uh, a coming of age kind of thing where you have to do it. And uh, so finally, on my birthday this last year, or like about a month ago, I went up to Portland. I went into Ground Control with twenty bucks. I got I got twenty bucks in quarters. I, I stood in front of that machine for like four hours, four or five hours, specifically to beat Attack yeah. from Mars. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was on my birthday, and I was like, this is time. This is happening. I was like, oh, yeah, this is real. And I you know, I was talking to the machine as I'm playing, and I'm like, this is going to happen today. Why that machine? Uh, well, Attack from Mars is one of the, I mean, it's arguably one of the best machines ever made, if not the best. I mean, uh, some people will tell you, I guess we're kind of segueing into pinball, but uh, some people will tell you uh, that Adam's Family is the best machine ever made. Some people will tell you that Attack from Mars is the best machine ever made. Uh, but it's it's definitely one of those uh, keystone sort of machines. So like if you really need to, you really need to beat that one if you if you are a pinball nerd like myself. Okay, so two questions come come to mind here. Uh, first of all, uh, what does it mean to beat a table? Right, right. Because I, I assumed that uh, you know they're so open ended, and I know there's a quest structure and all that stuff, but. But how do you beat a pinball table? No, no absolutely. Uh, that kind of goes into the history of pinball. So uh, for a long time, uh, pinball was just pinball. I mean, you just got a high, as high a score as you could, and probably the closest thing you could get to actually, you know, beating a machine would be to roll over the score. This right. Is back, you know, and uh, at some point in the history of pinball, and this is back when I really should know this, is that what they did, they, they, they give it a quest structure, sort of like you were saying. And so... Um, there's different modes that you can go through, and then once you go through the different modes, if you complete all of those modes, you get sort of like a super mode, and it, it, it's it's actually, it's often called the wizard uh, the wizard mode, and uh, if you can beat the wizard mode, then you've essentially beaten the machine. And some of the new machines, like I, I know we're going to talk about Pinball FX2 here in a bit, um, all of those machines have have that sort of quest structure in there. So you can you start up certain modes, and then if you get all of those, you can you know essentially. Uh, win, which is kind of a, a weird thing to do for pinball. 
But it doesn't it doesn't end the table or anything. It's just recognizing this is the highest level quest. Exactly. That you're trying yeah, to get. It's okay. just going after that. Um, okay. And in fact, some of the I mean, that's some of the things. Like if you talk about tournament play, uh, and again, this is for the people that really really are into pinball. Uh, for them, you know, for me saying that I ruled the universe on Attack from Mars isn't such a big deal because in tournaments there are people that do that on their first ball, and then they'll they'll continue on and you know I ruled the universe like four times on Attack from Mars, and I'm always like Ugh, I rule my eyes, and I'm like yeah yeah of course yeah, me too. I do. <laughs> I do that all the time. Well, then, then my second question is, what makes, and this is a very broad question, Scott, so run with it, what makes a good table? What makes a good table? Um, why, why, for instance, are, are Adam's family in Attack from Mars, uh, why are they lauded? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, uh, well, first of all, it's very relative. I mean, it's, uh, uh, what is a good table for some people is, you know, a not a good table for others. Like, even, even myself, who I, I consider myself a pinball aficionado, there are a lot of machines out there that I just don't, you know, there's there's certain every machine has different features. They have different ramps. They have different angles, and as a result, uh, if they match sort of your style of play, uh, you can get higher scores and you can feel good about it. I mean, there's a, a good example is there's a I think it's a Williams machine that's called Whitewater, that among pinball people is considered a really great machine. And for some reason, I just don't like it. Like it, it's a uh, but if you want like what I consider like the classic best machine, I like a, a machine with a wide body. There was a series of Williams machines. Let's see. I actually wrote up some notes. Let me see. Super pin. It was called the Super Pin series. Uh, that was a wide-bodied machine. It's wider than what is your normal pinball machine. So if you're like the modern machines, that would be something like Twilight Zone or Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, Earth. Uh, I think it's Earth. Not Earth Shaker. Uh, but there was Roadshow is a wide-body machine. I really like those. I like machines that have multiple modes. That's I think is a good thing for an old pinball or for a newer pinball machine. What does multiple uh, modes mean, by the way? Well, like with a quest mode that we were talking about. Okay, right. You know, like like having different things that you can do, uh, different challenges. Um, I like machines that uh, uh, have a auto ball save. That was a feature that was instituted like uh, in the early '90s or so. You know, so if you lose your ball quickly, it'll pop back in there and let you go again. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I have to say, like, having said all of this about great pinball, I love, I mean, I love the old, old pinball machines. Like, I, I like the pinball machines that are just harsh mistresses. You know, like, you you lose the ball, you lose the ball. And um, and they go really slow. And, you know, I mean, any, any pinball machine that was made in the 60s or the 70s, I am completely down with. And, and I will go out of my way to find those machines and play them because I love them so much. So... Are there any of those like at places like Ground Control? They've got to yeah. have some old classics too. Yeah. They have a couple of them. Uh, the, the, those machines are a little bit more difficult to maintain. You know, getting parts for them ah. like that are it makes it so that you know with the newer machines you can not only get parts from some of the manufacturers, but you can actually there are some companies out there that manufacture parts specifically for the newer machines. But the old machines, it's a lot instead of it being electronics that you just swap out. I mean, you actually have to solder. And you know, uh, do some do some actual <laughs> mechanical work on the old machines. So those are actually much more difficult to uh, to maintain. If you they're more difficult to maintain, I should say, if you're not into that stuff. If you're into it, it's actually I, I imagine it's it's very simple to do. But that's probably why on like Craigslist, if you go and find the old machines, like I said, you can find some really good, amazing machines out there for three hundred bucks. I mean, it's really easy to get your own machine. Uh, but the newer machines are a couple grand, and that, that's probably because they uh, they have all those electronics and such in there. Now, if you'd still been on the life trajectory where, you know, you had the house in Portland, you mm-hmm. set up the basement or whatever for, for several pinball machines, mm-hmm. surely you've thought about what is the first machine that I would get, you know? Oh, no. Assuming I could find it, what machine would you start your collection with? Absolutely Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone is my favorite machine. Now, you mentioned uh, that's one of the wide-body ones, correct? It is. It is. Okay. And so basically the history of it is uh, Williams, who was considered sort of, 
And again, this is arguable. Uh, this is arguably the best uh, pinball creators, you know, ever. Uh, Williams came out with a series called the Super Pin Series, and they came out with a, a machine, a, a really wonderful machine called Adam's Family, and it was designed by a guy named Pat Lawler. And uh, he, that machine ended up selling so well. Uh, in fact, I think at that point it was the best-selling pinball machine ever. That they told him, they said, okay, so this next machine, you have a blank check. Do whatever you want. Create, create a pinball machine for pinball players. And uh, he created Twilight Zone right after that. And the thing is, is it didn't do as nearly as well as uh, Adam's Family, but for hardcore pinball nerds, it's pretty much every, it's pretty much it. It is like the top of the line everything machine. And so, um, unfortunately, it's it is an expensive machine. I mean, it's a couple. It's at least a couple grand if you want to find a good one. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, but definitely that would be that would be my uh, holy grail of machines right there if I were to get my own collection going. What are the distinguishing features of the Twilight Machine table? Uh, Twilight Zone has a couple different things. I mean, uh, it has the, the big one is that it has something called a Powerball, and the Powerball is just a a ball that reacts differently than normal pinballs as far as physics go. I think it's actually ceramic. I, I held one of them once, and uh, it's uh, it's just a different kind of pinball. And so the machine actually knows that when the when the uh, the Powerball is going around the table. And so all of the physics that you're used to after years and years of honing your skills as far as playing pinball go immediately out the window because this ball just reacts differently than wow. anything you've ever played. So, uh, so the Powerball is, is one of them. It has multiple modes. It's, it's, uh, it has quite a few of them. It's very funny. It's a, I mean, it's, it's a, the, 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 uh, the modes that they have on there are very humorous. Uh, that was something that Williams was very smart with, like tables like Medieval Madness and Attack from Mars. They have a, they actually have a lot of comedy that's involved. Uh, what else? Twilight Zone just has an amazing skill shot. A lot of, a lot of uh, pinball machines try to incorporate a skill shot that makes sense, but actually Twilight Zone has a good one. What is the Twilight Zone skill shot? Uh, well, the skill shot, I mean, for those of you that don't know what it is, is uh, when you have the ball in the plunger and you're about to put it out onto the play field, if you can put it out in just such a right way that you hit something or do something special, you get, like, bonus points. Um, the skill shot on that one is just very straightforward. I mean, people put a lot of uh, gimmicky stuff on the, on the skill shot where it has to, you know, go into this thing and hit this thing and whatever. With that one, it literally is just like a bar. So, you like, if you get it in one area... You get one thing. If you get it in another area, you get a better thing. And if you get it in another area, you don't get anything. So, um, so now when yeah, it's just it's just like a it's a very pure it's a very pure skill shot. Pat Lawler really knew what he was doing with that machine. I mean, for the people that are into the game, he just he just knew. I mean, and so if you really get deep into pinball lore, you just kind of you, you start to see all the small details. It's sort of like it's sort of like artwork in the sense that you can look at something, you can think it's amazing, but. Uh, the more you get to know the artist, the more you get to know the history, you start seeing all these small things come out that you're just, you realize that they just nailed everything, everything from top to the bottom. Now, are there virtual versions of, like, Twilight Zone or Attack from Mars? Uh, Attack from Mars, no. I have played, uh, I played a virtual version of Twilight Zone somewhere, and I don't, I don't remember. I mean, that's the thing, is everything starts to blend in. I know that it's, it's, uh, we're, uh, like there's the Williams Pinball Collection. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have Twilight Zone in that one. Uh, something before, I mean, and it goes across genres too. It's sort of like I've played, and basically I take pinball wherever I can get pinball, right? You know, so if they could, if they made like a, you know, an Infocom text version of pinball somewhere, <laughs> I, would, I would be playing that game, you know? And so, as a result, I've completely, like, everything has merged into one giant genre. You know, I've played it. I think I played Twilight Zone on a PC version somewhere. Uh, uh, they, they did release a Williams Pinball uh, Classics version on the PC long before they released it for the Wii or the Xbox. And I think Twilight Zone might have been on that one. And, uh, and it was good. I mean, it was, 
it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. I like video pinball, but I love like you know sure. 3D, 3D real pinball. So now, do you serious pinball players? Uh, are you guys? Do you have uh, Williams versus Gottlieb conversations the way that like people would argue <laughs> about PCs and Macs or Xboxes and PS3s? Uh, yes and no. I mean, everybody has their favorite machine. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and just burn my bridges here and say that it's kind of generally considered that Williams are the best machines ever made, uh, which is so devastating since they, they, they're no longer in existence. Um, it's, the only company that's making machines right now is Stern, and there's a, there's a few other like independent smaller ones, but really like the only major company is Stern. Uh, the nice part is, is Stern has picked up some of the Williams people, from what I understand. You know, I mean, there's, a, there's it's a limited resource. I mean, if you've got years of making pinball uh, pinball machine experience, you're probably going to end up at Stern. Yep. Uh, but but there are, I mean, you know, there'll always be favorites. There are some people like. Uh, um, I think on the Williams Pinball Classic, there's one that's called Haunted House, uh, and that, that was considered like a classic, uh, in, and that's a Gottlieb machine. I mean, there are some people that prefer Sega machines. There's some people that prefer, uh, you know, whatnot. Uh, but I, I'm a Williams man all the way. I mean, I just think it was just a, it's just a fantastic company. And, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I said I, I shed a single manly tear when I heard that they uh, <laughs> when they closed up that day. I went out and had myself some bourbon. And uh, now, yeah. obviously, you yeah. came to this from from a very young age. Oh, yeah. uh, describe to me uh, young Scott McKinnon <laughs> discovering pinball. Well, Tom, back in 1827. <laughs> um, so my parents were bowlers. Uh, that's how this whole thing got started. Actually, you know what? I'll take it back. I'll go back even just one step further. I was doing a little research earlier, and if anybody wants to look this up, there was a toy that came out in the 70s called Pop-Up Pinball. And uh, it was it was like a Fisher-Price thing. I got that when I was like four years old. And it basically had just, you know, like two flippers and a big blue ball that you could just, you know, knock around a table. And I pretty much slept with that thing when I was a little kid. But um, but then after that, my, my parents were bowlers. They uh, were on a couple different leagues. So bowlers? We, I thought you were saying they were boars. Oh, no, no. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, my parents. Let's talk about that for a while, Tom. <laughs> so they're bowlers. Okay. I, I didn't know if this was going to be like a therapy set. Okay, your parents were bowlers. I, I, I get it. <laughs> they used to be. Uh, no, no, no. They were bowlers. They liked to bowl mm-hmm. bowling alleys. And uh, of course, uh, you know, if you, it's a little different nowadays. But back in, I mean, back in the day, bowling alleys and laundromats. I mean, that's where you found pinball machines. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so it was a lot easier than getting uh, a babysitter. That they would just, you know, we'd get into. The, and then my mom's gonna cry just hearing hearing me talk about this. But um, uh, we used to get, you know, a handful of quarters, and they'd shove us off and say, "Hey, go for it." And uh, and and my dad was also a bit of a rapscallion, so he used to you know he used to like to hang out in bars, and he would just do the same situation. He'd pull a chair up to a machine and hand me three bucks and quarters, and then he'd go off into the corner and you know rabble rouse with his friends. But I mean, it, it basically, yeah, it was kind of like my babysitter growing up. And so uh, I did have like a an, sort of an inherent skill at it, and so I did get to the point where uh, and and this is kind of a little bit of folklore in my family is that my you know, my father realized a couple of times that there were these teenagers that were coming up and were trying to play me. And this is back when I was like maybe six or seven or whatever, that I was just kicking their asses at, at, this, at these pinball games. And, <laughs> and he really wanted to take me on the road and start grifting. I mean, he wanted to do this thing where he'd walk up to some kids and go, like, oh, God, you guys are horrible. And my six-year-old could beat you at this game, you know. And, and uh, thank God for my mom. She talked some sense into him and didn't actually, you know, otherwise I'd probably be in, in like Arkansas right now. And Hey. 
I'm sorry. I didn't mean Arkansas. I meant Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> I mean Alabama right there. Uh, now, what is it? What does it take to have? Because when I play pinball, and I love it, but when I play pinball, so much much of it feels random. Mm-hmm. I am at the mercy of whatever trajectory the the bumpers have pushed the ball onto. So when I lose it, I the ball when it drains, I can't do anything about that. That's obviously not the case. Uh, what is it that goes into having pinball skill? How do you stop from how do you get good at pinball? And I know you know how to express this because you actually teach it, right? I do, yeah. I give out lessons. Uh, um, I, it's funny. I had a guy say that exact same thing to me at a bar the other day when when, uh, when he was saying, you know, you teach pinball lessons. He goes, I, I, it, it was, <laughs> it's funny because I told him, I was like, well, he's like, I don't think you can teach that. You just bang it around. There's nothing going on there. And I just looked at him like, come on, man. It's like, that's like saying you can't teach golf. It's like, you know, it's just, you just hit the ball and it goes away. Uh the secret to pinball, and I, this is the very first thing I talk about in the lessons, is is about control. It is about slowing everything down. Like everybody just, it's instead of being reactive, you need to be proactive, and uh, that's that's like the quintessential idea with behind the lessons. And so, it seems like the ball is flying around chaotically, and that you have absolutely no control over it, which is absolutely not the case. There's so many tools that you have available to you as a pinball player to take control of the situation. And uh, uh, I mean, the very first thing I teach people is how to do a ball trap, which is really simple. I mean, and, and you just hold the flipper up and get a ball so it's just sitting right there on top of the flipper and it's not moving. And uh, it, it takes a little while to get used to it. I mean, there's a couple different ways to do ball traps. I mean, basically, in pinball, you're trying to, to bring the temperature, you're trying to bring the kinetic energy of the table down to a, a manageable level. And uh, and that's basically the secret. I mean, that is the secret to pinball. And so, uh, it's again, not to react, but to be proactive on it. Is part of pinball skill, and I ask because I, I never do this, mm-hmm. is part of pinball skill uh, like jerking the table? Like in, oh, in pinball FX. So you actually have to move the table and risk the whole tilt thing to be good at pinball? Yeah, you don't you don't have to. I mean, I tend to, and that's a. Uh, I mean, I, I have a, I printed up a list of my uh, my eight or so commandments of pinball that I give out uh, when I do lessons, and that's I think. What is that? That's number four. Like, Thou shalt not fear nudging, is is on the list there. And basically, I mean, the thing that I tell people is that you really need to understand that the people that make the pinball machines accept nudging or or pushing the machine around as an accepted skill for pinball. I mean, that's the reason they have the tilt mechanism on there. But the tilt isn't to punish you. The tilt is to make sure that you're not pushing it around too much. But but I mean they 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 accept the fact that that is in fact skill. Now now with that said, I actually nudge the table very little. Um, some of the professional players will I mean get that thing dancing and actually pull it up off the ground and stuff. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, is if you really know what you're doing, if you're really pushing you know to control the ball like I'm talking about, you should have to use a nudge only as a, like a like a you know a last resort kind of feature. Mm-hmm. But it's absolutely accepted, and in fact you should. I've, I've told people, and some of the I've had. And I should talk about the lessons that I give. Is like some of, most of my lessons tend to be one-off lessons, but I have had a few people that were, came back for you know second and thirds. And and if I give if I do that, if they want to you know basically be like a disciple, um, I'll I'll uh, I'll give them homework and I'll say okay now work on this you know. And one of the the very first homework assignment I give is is okay now just push the machine around a lot in this in this game. Like you know just get to the point where you're comfortable. Pushing the machine around so you know what's going to happen when you. I mean, because pinball is kind of a weird thing. If you push the table to the right, the pinball actually goes to the left because right. of the way the physics works. And so it's very counterintuitive for some people. If they want the ball to go to the left, they push the machine to the left, and that usually makes it worse. 
Hmm. And so you really need to get to the point where just as practice, you just kind of, you know, get to the point where you can do it without thinking about it. And the only way you're going to do that is if you just get push the machine around, you know. Uh, if you get further into the game, I'll actually give homework, like only use one flipper, um, which which sounds like you wouldn't be able to play a game only using one flipper, but actually you can you can play a full game and a pretty good game just using like the left flipper. You just have to get to the point where uh, where you let the ball bounce off the right flipper without actually flipping, which is really the whole point of the lesson is that you have to realize that uh, it's a big thing of like when to flip and when not to flip. I mean, it, it's it's very strange. It, it gets to it very it, that's more advanced techniques, of course. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what uh, so so. So you started off, you, you were obviously good at an early age. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something that you, you grew up doing, or did you do it as a kid and then stop, or all your life have you been into playing pinball? Oh, yeah, doing the lessons or just pinball in general? Just, just pinball in general. Like yeah, pinball you... in general, definitely. I've, I've always been a pinball nerd. Um, uh, when, uh, when did it transition to uh, into part of, like, video gaming for you? Oh, right, yeah. Well, I've always, like, like I said, I'll get pinball in any sorts I can. So, I mean, I used to play pinball... Um, I mean, there's some really early, like, not just Atari 2600 pinball, which, by the way, I played on on uh, Xbox uh, arcade the other day, which was just for me like a blast from the past. Just wow, like, I remember that too. Yeah, how does oh, that? Man. Is that is that just insufferable or is it fascinating? <laughs> What's it like playing that? Well, it's you know, it's like going back and seeing the the you know the girl you fell in love with originally. I mean, it's kind of you know, she's older, she's uglier, and you can't you know move her around in the ways you used to, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, but she's, but she's still got some moves on her, you know, and, uh, uh, no, it was great. I mean, the, the big thing that I was wrestling with is that, uh, and I, I played the hell out of that, that game. I mean, that was, you know, that, and, I mean, I mean, you can go any, any version of pinball I've played. Like I, I think of like the LED handheld wildfire. Uh, I don't know if people remember that, but that's sort of like, you know, those handheld football games. You yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Leco yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they used to have those, like one called wildfire. That was a handheld pinball one. Uh, I used to play in television pinball. There was an arcade. Uh, one of the earliest arcade games was something called just Video Pinball, uh, released by Atari. I think that was back in 1979 or something like that. And, uh, um, I mean, if you, you know, any any generation of pinball, I have been there. I've been there right from the beginning. So uh, Apple IIe, I remember playing pinball on that. And uh, um, Now, how do you feel about this idea that, that video game pinball machines – can do fancy things that real-world pinball machines can't do. Do you feel that that's gratuitous or that, that takes away from the, the pinballness of it? Like, I'm, I'm thinking if there were all these, like, Sierra tables from, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago uh, right. that had all these, like, crazy things happening on the table that they could do because they were a video game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, I think that there are a lot of people that prefer them to be totally purist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually am completely fine with that. Um, I'm sort of, I sort of take the Zen... Uh, all-encompassing approach to pinball, which is uh, I, about the only way I can really describe it is there's a quote from uh, Zero Effect. I don't know if you know that film. Um, sure. Uh, but basically, Daryl Zero is talking about, uh, I think the quote basically says something to the effect of, if you go looking for something specific in life, you're probably not going to find it because there's so many things in the world. But if you go looking for anything at all, you're probably going to find it because there's so many things in the world. <laughs> and, I mean, that's definitely the way I take, like, this. I mean, like, if I wanted, like, again, the perfect machine, I can go out and find the perfect machine and say, okay, this is it. Anything that is not this machine is going to be less, less than this. And I don't take that. I, I, I love all forms of pinball equally. This is very, you know, <laughs> this is very Woodstock right now. Okay, this is a, <laughs> I embrace all your pinballness in, in all of its forms. Uh, but, no, no, I, I mean, I... I think it's great when video pinball does things like that. I mean, uh, in the new pinball FX2, there's like on, on Excalibur, there's 
there's spots where, you know, uh, 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 like a, a knight brings a, a mace down and crushes, you know, uh, the pinball table, and you can do things with that. I think that's great. I love all that stuff. But at the same time, I love it when you have a completely purist. I mean, the, the uh, Williams Pinball Classics is awesome because it does not affect anything on there, and it doesn't change it. In fact, there was one, uh, I think it was a PC uh, game that was a while back that had uh, a pinball machine called 1776 on it. And uh, and they had actually, I, I remember this very specifically, that the original 1776 had a flaw where one of the drop targets, when you hit it, would not register that the drop target had fallen. And I was shocked to find out on this PC version that they had ported that across. Wow. So, so yeah, a flaw that was in the original machine they had brought into the PC version, and I can see where people would get upset about that, but as soon as I saw that, I thought, no, these guys know what they're doing. That's like, fidelity. <laughs> that is fidelity. I mean, that is, like, purist all the way. And so I admire that, but I also admire the machines in which, like, a you know, a, a dragon swoops down Easter ball and, and takes you to some other world. Well, you know, it kind of, when when you mentioned, Scott, the, the Twilight Zone table having the ceramic ball, I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like something that... that even serious pinball makers want to do anyway is right. use the medium to sort of break the parameters you expect to, to 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 bust out of the formula and do different weird things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of weird that uh, I don't want to sound too pretentious, but this kind of gets back to uh, kind of me being an art major. I kind of wonder about that sometimes. Is that when it comes to the actual pinball machines, there there's a big duality that goes on there between the commercial side and the artistic side. Mm-hmm. So a lot of pinball creators wanted to come up with new gimmicks. Uh, because they loved the art of pinball and they wanted to do something that had never been done before. And a lot of times they also created these gimmicks simply because if somebody walked up to the machine and said, oh, look, there's like magnets and seven flippers and all this other stuff, I will play this machine. And so it turns into this commercial side where some people play the machine just because it has these you know, tricks and other pinball players create them because they're actually genuinely cool. One of the things that I, I love on the Williams, and I, I presume the Gottlieb collection as well, uh, is that they're, they're arranged as museums, and a lot of times they'll include like the, the promotional one-sheets. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love that stuff, and there's a history of the tables, too, and of like why they have this multi-ball mode and why there are this many flippers, and, and you can see... The, the the industry sort of struggling with it with how to appeal to more and different people and uh, how to advance the genre. Well, it's a, it's a dying art. I mean, I, I talked about this uh, a little bit in the. Uh, I had an article that was talking about uh, that was written in the Portland Mercury, which is a Portland Weekly, uh, and I got a lot of crap for saying that pinball is dying. And uh, I had a lot of people come up to me afterwards and just sort of you know want to they verbally smack me around a little. Like, how dare you say? Well, how can someone dying? dispute that? I mean, that's... I, I, that's what I think. I mean, it's, it's anybody that knows the industry knows that it's it's kind of, you know, it is on its way out. But And so there's always been this thing. I mean, and it makes sense. I mean, the machines are expensive. They have hundreds of moving parts. If any one of those parts breaks, it can ruin the experience of the machine, especially for a purist like me. I mean, a lot of people go up and they – we're talking about those modes that you can play in a pinball game. If If one – register is not working, then you can't beat the machine. And that makes that machine, for some people, valueless. You know, and, and in order to really maintain the machines in a place like ground control, that's the reason I love ground control in Portland, is that they have a guy that goes around every, like, three days and goes through every single machine and makes sure that every single part works. But if it doesn't work, then the machine is kind of crap. You know, And that's what I'm having trouble with here in Eugene, is that they know all the machines are, at least in some way, broken. And um, and so that's the reason that pinball is dying. I mean, these are expensive, complex machines, 
And uh, and so I, I don't think there's any, you know, I don't think there's any really disputing the fact that these things are going away. And so I mean, that's one of the reasons that video pinball is great is because, you know, the machines never break. I actually thought it would be kind of funny if, like, you know how uh, Fallout New Vegas has this new hardcore mode? Uh, I thought it would be awesome if Pinball FX2 had this mode where over time, you know, like, flippers were a little bit weaker, and then you could always go in and fix it. But I think it Yeah, go into the, it would encourage people to dig into those operator menus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you play it, and all of a sudden something stops working, and you're like, oh, mother of God, I can't believe this isn't working. And you'd play that, you'd laugh about it for a while, and then you'd go hit the reset button, and it'd be fine, you know. Or better yet, you have some, you know, like, an animation of a guy coming up and pulling the table up, <laughs> changing the lights, you know? That would be, that'd be awesome. Now, is, uh, are there, is there a pinball game, a video pinball game, that's better than Pinball FX2? Is, is that currently state-of-the-art? Oh, there, do you have any problems with their vision of video game pinball? Actually, I'm pretty, I'm pretty damn impressed with, with FX2. I mean, uh, uh, if you'd asked me the same question about FX1, I probably would have said that there were some other machines that are like uh, Williams Pinball, for example. Um, I think FX2 is like, uh, it's pretty high up on the list. There's, a, uh, there's not much that I have a complaint with it. And like I was saying, I, I kind of said this on the boards the other day, is I, I've always wanted a mode in which, a flyover mode, where you could take the camera and fly it over the table so you can study the table, which is a big part of learning pinball is that you really have to know uh, you have to have a strategy, uh, and it's really difficult to get that strategy if you can't see the table very well. And, and they have some views on there that, I mean, I like view six because you can see the, the whole table all together, but, but I, it still is hard to, like, zoom in on something. But I'm trying to think of, I mean, I'll always have classics. I'll always have things that I love. Uh, the Williams Pinball Classic for me is still, like, way the hell up on the list, simply because those are uh, real machines. Right. Or, or, not real machines, but obviously they're based on real machines. And they're on, based on machines that I have spent just far too many hours playing on, you know, and so I know that they put really the time and energy in on those machines and that they're, they're 98% accurate with the real, the real life, uh, counterparts. Um, but I have to say like FX2, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Although right now, uh, I mean, the thing is kind of goes with midterms. So obviously the, I actually had scheduled some time when it was originally supposed to be uh, released and I was very devastated when I found out it was delayed even if it's just a week or two, because I realized that they were going to be basically releasing it on my midterms week. And so when I found out that it was going to be uh, this week, I, I purchased it, and I basically spent 24 hours just playing the game. I was like, <laughs> and this is, like, so bad. I know it's so bad, but I was like, I have, a, I have a window of opportunity to jump in here and play this. And I did all right. I mean, like, I think as far as because of my Rocky and Bullwinkle score, I got, like, number two in the world, right? And I haven't touched it since then, and I know, I know, oh, my God, I am getting – right now – there is like an eight-year-old with a drinking problem and an eye patch in Chechnya who is kicking my ass, like right as we speak. And I'm like dropping down because I can't compete globally. I mean, the thing is, is that I, I think I'm a fairly decent pinball player in real life. But it, as far as like video pinball and globally goes, it, it's just not happening. I mean, I know that I'm not that. And that's that's part of like a, that's part of like the whole pinball thing in general is that uh, – uh, I had one guy come up to me, and and, uh, and there's a, the whole backstory of like there's a there's a pinball gang in Portland called the Crazy Flipper Fingers that is an actual pinball gang, and uh, they, that's the way they describe themselves is a you know a drinking club that likes to play pinball, <laughs> and they hate me. They've taken me on as like their nemesis. I mean, what did you do? Well, it, it had all everything to do with that article that came out. Uh, like, oh, right. So, so basically, the way this worked is that um, uh, I had put out. Okay, so let me let me go back. Let me tell you how I got started teaching lessons. So. Uh, I had a friend, I was sitting around, we were drinking, we were talking about what is the definition of an expert? 
So, uh, and he was like, well, you know, you have to be in the top 1% of something to be an expert. And I said, do you mean just like if you're in the top 1%, uh, you know, uh, of people uh, that, and you play golf, are you an expert golfer? And he was like, yeah. And I said, I think you need to be in the top 1% of people that claim to be that thing. So, in other words, if, you, if you're in the top 1% of people that say that they're golfers, then you are an expert golfer, as opposed to just, you know, like 80% of people probably have never picked up a club. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me, he's like, so what are you an expert at? And we laughed, and I said, nothing, you know, I'm not an expert in anything. And then he goes, well, what about pinball? And I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know, out of people that say that they play pinball, I'm probably in the top 1%. And I don't mean that in any, like, I am so amazing kind of thing. I mean, I just mean that I'm pretty good at pinball, you know. And if I go into Portland, I don't think I'm the best person in Portland. I'm probably in the top 20 in Portland. But there are people, I mean, Portland's such a pinball town that they probably have at least, you know, 200, 2,000. I mean, I don't know how many people in there play pinball. So, but anyway, we laughed about it. We forgot about it. So there are some free ads that you can put out in the back of the Willamette Week and the, and the Portland Mercury. And I put in an ad saying, you know, come get your pinball lessons from Rockstar pinball teacher Ming Staccato kind of thing. It was a joke. And I didn't really expect much response. And I really just wanted my friend to see this ad in the background <laughs> and then go, wait a minute, you know, and then like laugh. Um, but then I started getting phone calls and, uh, and the thing is, is that I used to jokingly, I think I put in the ad that I'll double your score in an hour or your money back. And the thing is, is I don't pay, I don't charge anything for the lessons. Ah, right, right. You know, so um, basically, as long as you pay for the drinks, I'll pay for the pinball, and we can just sit there and talk about pinball. I mean, I'm, I'm all about, like, just promoting the game. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like I said, it's dying art. So so I put this ad out, and, uh, and then I started getting some phone calls. Uh, uh, and then after that, like, the Portland Mercury said, you know, uh, why don't we, we want to do a little article on this. And so they did the article. I actually hadn't received, I, I scheduled out a bunch of lessons, but I hadn't actually done a lesson yet. So the guy that was the article guy was my first lesson. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we were doing the article, I, before I even did this, I told them, really, you shouldn't even be talking to me. If you want to know about Portland pinball, you should, there's three people you should be talking to. Uh, you should be talking to, like, Mike McHappy, who is, like, a big, big-time uh, pinball guy in Portland. Or you should be talking to Anthony, who owns Ground Control. Or you should be talking to uh, CFF, which is this pinball club. I said, you know, really, those are the pinball people in Portland. I'm just some dude. And he goes, no, I want to do this angle. I want to do this story. I was like, fine. So we did the article. And as soon as the article came out, I started getting calls on my cell phone from people in CFF, which is, by the way, CFF is uh, Crazy Flipper Fingers. That's what that represents. And it's from a line in Tommy's uh, The Who Pinball Wizard. (laughs) Um, but it is like a gang of like 30 or 40 pinball players that get together all the time and drink and, and, and they have a big, uh, like initiation in order to get to their club. And, and they actually will, I actually went to one of the things and their, their big thing is they have a hazing. They will go in and they will berate you and tell you you suck and they, and how horrible you are. And if you decide you still want to join their club after this whole thing, they will let you into the club. Um, and so I, you know, I went in to meet them, and, and I just it wasn't my cup of tea. Like I said, I'm much more of a Mr. Miyagi sort of, you know, like pinball zen guy. And and uh, but then after the article came out, I started getting phone calls and like messages on my cell phone. It was like, Hey, Mick Staccato, you think you're so great about pinball? Really, we're what pinball is all about in town. Like, you need to come out here and, and meet us at this dark alleyway at four in the morning. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, and. Uh, uh, so that's uh, yeah, it kind of turned into the the crazy flipper fingers uh, nemesis, which which you know, 
This could be this could be resolved so easily, you know, just like you each pick your best machine and you just square off against their champion. Well, I, don't, no. I don't know why this is even an issue. Because I, <laughs> so the, something like that actually happened. So, uh, so <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, Tom, you don't really want to go down that road, do you? <laughs> uh, well, who so won? Flash, flash, flash forward about a year and a half. There's right. uh, Crazy Flipper Fingers has decided to put on a tournament in town that's at the Clinton Street Theater, which is a uh, famous theater, or famous-ish. I already know how this movie's going to end. By oh, this is awesome. I can you see where this is going. Don't even want to know. <laughs> so uh, the, the thing was is I was going to avoid it. I've kind of avoided them in general just because I'm not a conflict kind of guy. I just don't really see it. You can't and stay away, Scott. You can't. can't. Can't do it. But they they actually published the list of the machines that were going to be at this tournament, and it was all of these machines that I hadn't played since like the like since I was five. You uh-huh. know, I mean, it's like they had collected this amazing, and I couldn't I couldn't avoid it. I was like, okay, I have to go to this thing, and and. Um, so it was kind of funny. I went like I went to sign up uh, in the morning. The actual tournament was like at two o'clock, but sign up was at ten a.m. And I wanted to get in there, so I went down there. And, and this is back when I was married. Uh, but I went down by myself, and I walked in the door, and everybody's like, "Oh, I mean, because again, I had my tattoos at that point. People kind of knew who I was from the article." So uh, I walked in the door, and there were all these people that just started giving me shit right away. I mean, and uh, and they're like, "Oh, you think you're going to do so well?" and all this stuff. And and I was like, "Come on, I'm just really here to play pinball." And and uh, so I signed up, and uh, then I went back home, and I thought I'd come back at 2. And I grabbed my wife, and I said, you really should come down here with me. I really want you to see this. Because it was just kind of people didn't believe me when I was like, this this group just gives me hell all the time. And she's like, okay, okay. So, uh, And I, and by the way, if any of your, uh, if any of your uh, listeners are adverse to language, please skip forward about, like, 15 <laughs> seconds here. I just, wanted, I just wanted to put that out there. So I go back to the, uh, I go back to the uh, pinball tournament, and I walk in the door with my wife. And the guy that runs CFF, the guy that's running the tournament, goes, hey, everybody, the douchebag is back. You know, and I'm just like, and my wife looks at me like, really? Really? This is what we're going to deal with this afternoon? You know, just in order to play some pinball machines? And I'm like, come on, I have to do this. I have to play these machines. So the thing about my, my tournament play is it's very streaky. And, and I, I definitely feel like what I, what I do is I'll play like 10 games of pinball and the first eight will suck. And the ninth will be okay, and then I'll just nail it. Like the tenth one, I'll just nail it, which is totally the wrong way to go about for a uh, a tournament play. Like tournament play, you have to be amazing each and every time. I mean, you can't just you know have one good game. So, but I really wanted to play these machines, and uh, so it's a three round thing. You can get you know, uh, or not three rounds. I should say it's double elimination, so you can lose twice. And so. Uh, I went into the first round. Actually, I mean, I shouldn't diss all of CFF because there's some really nice guys in there. I know there are because I've talked to a couple of them. In the first round, the guy just outplayed me. He just beat me. Um, uh, and then I went into the second round, though, and there was a, it was a machine called uh, Space Invaders, which I had actually played pretty well, and they used to have a ground control, so I kind of knew what I was doing. And I actually ended up getting the best game in the tournament. I ended up just completely – I flipped the machine over – I, I dominated this guy, right? You know, and I kind of felt like, okay, cool. That was Ming Staccato. Like before, the first game was Scott. That was Scott. The second game was Ming Staccato. I brought it, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe I'd get a little respect, kind of thing. And uh, and so the CFF guys on the, <laughs> I went to sit, sit down, and on the microphone, so it goes to like everybody in this whole venue. Uh, one of the guys got on there and goes, "Hey, I heard you had a pretty good score on, uh, you know, Space Invaders." And I was like, yeah, I did okay. I mean, I'm trying to stay humble. And then one of the guys screams out. He goes, well, fuck you, Stink Mikado. We hate you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. You know, I'm just, like, rolling my eyes. I'm like, why am I in here? 
And so when I went to sit down, I was like, my, my wife was like, what's going on? And I said, you don't realize that this is Karate Kid. Like, we are in the middle of a movie in which I am Ralph Macchio, and all these guys are dressed up in the skeleton, you know, uh, yep. whatever. And I said, this is, this is my chance. You know, this is like, I'm going to do this. So we get into the third round, and so I, because I lost the first round, this is double elimination, you know, and I'm, I'm there and I'm playing. And you got to realize that in, in pinball, uh, uh, in the pinball world, there is an actual grand champion. There is a world champion of pinball. And the way that they get into that sort of final tournament is that they go to all these, these smaller tournaments and they get they tournament points, basically, that helps qualify them for the world championship. And, and this was an actual uh, officiated game. You know, this was, this was, you know, the winner of this tournament was going to get world champion pinball points. That's, it doesn't mean they were going to be the world champion, but you know what I mean? They, like, get you right. know, extra points. This counted. This counted. So this was an official thing. So, uh, so anyway, in the third round, I'm going and I'm playing on this game. And I'm playing against the guy that actually screamed, fuck you, stink Mikado. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually beating him. I beat him the first, the way the game works is you, you, you beat him like three games, or best of three. Mm-hmm. So I beat him the first game. I lost the second game. And in the third game, I, had, I was ahead of him, and he got his third ball, and he was a little bit ahead of me. But if I just had a decent little ball uh, on that third one, uh, I would have beaten him. And so he tried to start distracting me while I was playing. So he got up, and he like whispered right in my ear. He's like, I'm going to lay down on the ground, and I'm going to fart. Right here, Mink Staccato. I'm gonna fart right under your feet. And he did. He got like got down. He laid down. He started squealing like a pig. This is a true story, Tom. I am not making this. Wait a minute. Aren't there like referees that throw in yellow cards at that point or something? But I think that yeah, exactly. But I think that the and he started squealing. He's like, Mink Staccato. I'm gonna fart right here, Mink Staccato. And and I ended up getting distracted and losing the ball. And the guy won. And as soon as they went on the mic with you know, oh, Mink Staccato goes down, the whole place erupts in cheering. Right. You know, and it's like, yeah, Mick Staccato's dead. And uh, and I actually thought, yeah, okay, I could find the I could find the referee, and I could complain, <laughs> and I could go through this whole thing. And I was like, you know what? I got to play all the machines I wanted to play. I got to do exactly what I came there to do. And uh, and I didn't fight him. I didn't I didn't really feel like it was worth it. But it was funny that literally as I was walking back to my car with my wife, I just turned to her and I go. Fuck Ralph Macchio. This totally sucks. So like this is this is not this is not the Karate Kid at all. You know. You know, instead of giving me a Karate Kid story, you just gave me uh, the Rocky of pinball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am the Rocky. I put that on my business cards. I am the Rocky. Of pinball. So uh, tell me before I ask you a completely random question, which I'm about okay. to do. Tell me what what's your favorite table on FX2? Oh, that's a good question. And no um, picking one of the old ones. I'm talking about the four new tables. Four new, uh, As a matter of fact, you know what? Break them all down for me. You, you you haven't spent too much time with them, but you had your, your glut of early play. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I know the uh, tables pretty well. I tell me how you feel deep. about Rome, Pasha, Biolab, and Secrets of the Deep. Well, it's funny that I actually was kind of looking on the – I can't remember. It was a poll actually on the Pinball FX uh, website, and they were, they were talking about their favorites. And actually my favorite was the one that people didn't like the most, which is Secrets of the Deep. I actually like whoa, that whoa, one. whoa, 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 whoa. Who doesn't like Secrets of the Deep? That's I, clearly the best one. I like it. I, I think it's a really great machine. I mean, it has a lot of elements that I really like for it. Uh, uh, but, but, uh, but it seemed to me like on that poll, it just seemed like that was the one that people didn't like the most. I, uh, I like Pasha. I like Rome. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Biolab. I haven't really figured out the whole uh, what the whole uh, uh, rule system is with the, the creature that you create. I know that I created a creature that actually had uh, matching, you know, uh, head, body, and legs, and it gave me some kind of bonus. Uh, but I haven't really delved too deep into the uh, in actual rules there to find out what's going on with that. But um, uh, yeah, I have to go. With, I have to go with Secrets of the Deep. 
how much does tone matter to you? Like, Biolab is really, like, jokey and cute and squealy and colorful, uh, whereas Secrets of the Deep is kind of atmospheric and uh, it's got these sort of dark colors and the bass sound, uh, and, and Rome is all that gaudy color. Uh, you know, there's so much detail there. Like, how, how much does all that, the, those matters, of those aesthetic matters, uh, uh, how important are those to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it kind of depends. I mean, actually, if you're talking a real-life pinball machine, I actually kind of like the aesthetics a lot more. Like, like I, like I was saying, the uh, some of the later Williams machines had a lot of really humor added to them. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Medieval Madness, not a lot of people know this, but they actually hired Tina Fey to do a lot of their voice acting, and she does a really good job on that. And uh, Wait a minute, come on. No, no, Tina Fey does the voice uh, of, a, of some of the characters on Medieval Madness. I mean, this is before she was in The Groundlings and before she was uh, on Saturday Night Live and all of that, but... Um, but they, they actually, I mean, and like I said, Williams is the triple A list of pinball machines. They went all out to get good people on there. Uh, as far as you go to video pinball, I think it's kind of like a movie. You can say, well, the acting was great, but the script sucked. So, you know, for some people, it's sort of like if that's good enough if the acting is good. Mm-hmm. Um, for myself, if, if you have, let's say, a good machine, I mean, I should say a bad machine with a really funny sort of uh, attitude, I just don't really care. Like, the, the humor is not the what, what I'm there for. I'm there for the pinball. So, um, Are there any of the FX tables? And, and this includes, uh, I don't know if you've seen Zen Pinball, but they've got a few unique machines that will hopefully be ported to FX2, uh, but also the FX1 tables. Are there any of those tables that Zen Studios has done that you feel uh, is, is bad? Uh, I don't like Extreme, which, you know, that one where... Uh, skateboarding one. Like skateboarding the, one. I do not like that machine. And I, I apologize to anybody that's out there uh, that, that developed that machine. Uh, it has like a... The way that they divided the table up, it's like a small lower table and a bigger upper table, and yet it's kind of difficult to get. Not difficult, but you just don't get the ball. I mean, that, there's so many things. I mean, and I guess it kind of touches on what you were talking about earlier. Uh, what makes a good machine is like there. There are so many subtle things. Like a, a wide open play field is great because you want the ball. You want room to run with the ball. You know, mm-hmm. you want to be able to move around. Um, and yet, you know, actually, actually, the secrets of the deep. There is a, an upper table and a lower table, and there's a lot of there's not a lot of room to run around in the lower part. But I actually think that that's the good way to do it, uh, as opposed to extreme, which I think is just just devastatingly bad as far as that goes. Um, I would like to say, since I just have this one chance to sort of scream out to the universe. Uh, uh, and I apologize because I'm going to make some actors cry, uh, is that the woman who does the voice for Rome drives me crazy. Like, every time I listen to it, not just that, yep. but, I mean, at one point she says, Deus, Deus Ex Machina? Yeah, yeah. You know, and every time she says that, I'm like, Deus Ex Machina? <laughs> oh, you know, I want to say, like, like, oh, my God. You know, like, that is just, that just, and then she says, Vini, Vini, Vici, you know, in a, in a sort of strange way. And the, the whole, like, I really hope Pinball FX2 sells really well, and if they have any anything that they can invest in for Pinball FX3, I swear to God, please hire some actors. You know, hire some really good actors. And it's so it's such a small thing, you know. But it's, now, have you played Paranormal, the table that right now is is exclusive to the PS3? I have not, and you know, I have a PS3, and I, I get on the PS3 network every once in a while, but I have not played. Like somebody was saying the other day that that uh, Tesla. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a really amazing machine, and that of course immediately made me go, God, I just need to get on there and get that game. Uh, but I haven't picked, I haven't played any of the. Tesla's games. a good one. I, I love Paranormal Activity, but it's got the worst. It, it's it's like that chick in Rome. The voice actor is just he's supposed to be a, a detective type, and he's just like a, a 
two-bit, like, low-rent Goomba. Like, it sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a Sopranos reject. And I just, I, I'm just wondering, are the people at Zen Studios intentionally griefing us with these horrible <laughs> I don't know, but I know that, like, Rome is such a great example because, uh, you know, they had the one actor on there that is very, like, he's trying to do these, like, we're going to war. And right. Like, oh, really great stuff. <laughs> and then, I like, if you get a, a three-way combo on the ramps, what they do is you go, you know, like, the, the girl goes, you know, combo, double combo. And then she goes, Awesome, yeah. you know, and then this little like here's this guy going like we're going to war, and the other group going awesome. That's right, and then the, the chick from the sorority shows up. Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, what are you doing here? Like you should not be in this room with me. I'm sorry. Now, do you know who the narrator is? And I only recently noticed this on Secrets of the Deep. Oh no! Oh my god! And it's not like not like a famous person. I mean, in the context of the fiction, <laughs> President Barack Obama. <laughs> It was his younger days, but he was just at uh, Illinois there as a senator. They hired him for voices. Exactly, now, yeah. uh, the I only recently noticed this, but, you know, they've, they've got the, the narrator on the table, and he sounds like an old sailor or whatnot. But when you're playing, you'll notice there's a, a shark in the upper left-hand corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah the shark talking. Yeah, 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 and its mouth is moving. That's the yeah. shark talking to you, saying things like good shot and all that stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, you didn't realize that? Yeah. No, I played it probably for an hour or two before I realized that. And actually, I have to say, like, I know this is silly, but that actually detracted a little bit for me. Knowing the shark was talking to Knowing you? Knowing the shark was talking. Because that's like, unrealistic. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. <laughs> that would never. You know, Tom, let me just say, in real life. <laughs> well, it is. It's kind of talking to me. I mean, the thing is, like, Secrets of the Deep is, for the most part, really earnest. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's an odd touch. I mean, I love that kind of stuff, but it's an odd touch on this otherwise earnest table to have the little talking old sea salt shark in the corner. Uh, you know, it's funny that I, Tom, I feel really bad because I feel like I've, I've talked this whole time and I haven't asked you any questions. And so I, I, there's some things I'd really like to know. Like, for you, like, what are your favorite tables? It's definitely Secrets of the Deep. Uh, I I just love the... The palette, I love uh, the the way the sound effects with the, the sort of the underwater tone and the, the bubbly noises and um, uh, and you know what as as a as a kid I was fascinated by by sharks by you know deep sea exploration there's a there's a this voyage to the bottom of the sea series that I remember as a kid so I just I love that that theme mm -hmm. um, and I like the way the tables bifurcated I definitely feel like yeah, no, and that machine is good. I like that a lot. Well, it's also because there's like an equal emphasis on the upper half and the lower half, and I don't mm -hmm. know if it's my my own pinball skills, but I feel like I can. I'm spending a lot of time in both segments, whereas yeah. something like um, like Paranormal has this really cool little sub table or the guard table in Pasha, you know, the, the little thing that opens up. I rarely get into those things, and so I feel like it's a cool little secret thing that I can get into. But Secrets of the Deep has two little areas that I can spend equal time in, and I kind of like that. Um, but, you know, those machines, too, are, and I hope I'm not brewing any secrets for Pinball FX2, is a lot of those machines are actually based on Williams machines. Like, if you know Pinball really well, you can see that they took a lot of their inspiration from real-life machines. So, like, that ball that drops down in Secrets of the Deep is actually taken directly from a Pinball machine that's called Junkyard, which is a really great, uh, again, super pin, like, wide-body uh, pinball machine from Williams. Mm -hmm. and, and, in fact, the, the little uh, circular spinny deal in the lower right is taken from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, they, they pull from some really, really good machines. I mean, and I, I mean this in a good way. Like, it's an homage or whatever, you know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, these machines have pulled some of the best elements from some of the Williams machines that I really like. So, so how do you feel about, like, video modes? I'm curious about that. When you say video modes, you mean, like, the little LED games? Yeah, exactly. 
I kind of like that break. I mean, I once I figured out like there's this weird thing with pinball, and someone was complaining on the in, on the thread, and I think it's a valid complaint that the tables aren't very well documented. And oh, I, yeah. I think that that's part and parcel of pinball. I mean, I remember as a kid, the first pinball machine I played, having to spend quarters to figure it out. And to me, that's that's kind of the appeal. So, so I know it can be frustrating to be dropped into an LED mode and not really sure what you're supposed to do with the flipper buttons, even though it explains it. I mean, yeah, no, I, you, you're talking about cooling down the kinetic temperature of a table, like the pacing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something really hard for us lay folks to learn. So when you're dropped in one of those little LED modes, it's like, oh, yeah, what do I do? Ah, there's exactly. this frantic, you seize up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's part of the learning curve is knowing when you can relax, when you can read, what you're supposed to do. And I always look at those little modes as like a break, like the the Petri dish mode in Biolab, mm-hmm. where you're turning the dish and you're rolling the ball through a maze. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I know, I can imagine purists, some purists might not like that, but I love those little breaks that kind of break up the, the pacing, uh, that, that, that cool the table down for me because I'm too inexperienced to sort of do that on my own. Right. So uh, you do like the, the when it breaks from reality bit on the video? I do. Yeah. I, I absolutely yeah. do. Uh, okay. when, when it's well done, I mean, I, I'm sure that there are ways where it's not well done. And, and I just, I trust those, I think those guys at Zen really get what they're doing. Like, I think they really have a firm grasp on how to make this work. And yeah. I, looking at some of the earlier tables, I mean, I've been playing, like, the Rocky and Bullwinkle and the Street Fighter tables. Like, I feel like I'm almost doing, like, those feel really retro. Like, it's sort of Zen Studios really sort of in their early days. Mm-hmm. Um, so these later tables, I just really trust and like what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think the trajectory that they have going, I mean, with this game coming out and the features that are in it and the fact that the four new tables are actually out of those four tables, I I, I even like Biolab. I mean, there's not one table on there that I yeah. actually don't care for. It's like, I, I don't think they dropped the ball on any one of those. At this point, it's just like preference, which just makes me excited for, uh, I mean, I, I mean, it's so it's so bad to say like I can't wait for Pinball FX3 because there's you know so many <laughs> so many people that have just uh, finished the you know f- crossed the finish line basically. So, but I, I can't wait for their new tables. I can't wait for their new stuff because I really think they've got a uh, they've got a feel for it. Uh, they're pinball players now. I, I feel like they're pinball players making pinball machines, and that's a big thing. So well, and I love this business model too, Scott. Is it really seems like Pinball FX2 now, and the same with Zen Pinball on the PS3? It feels like it's a platform. Yeah. Uh, and they're releasing new tables, and I, I, you know, it's fine with me if we never see Pinball FX3, as long as they're still doing these cool new tables. And and that's what's so exciting about Paranormal, um, is that you know, Zen Pinball had been around on the PS3 for for a while, and here comes this great new addition to it. That's uh, mm-hmm. not, you know, it doesn't have to be a sequel. Just give us this really clever, creative new table, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm happy. And the fact too, Scott, that those are only two fifty. Uh, oh, yeah. Know. Oh, those are great. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah. Yeah, the price point on that is just fantastic. And considering the amount of time, I mean, I know you're the same way, the, the amount of time I spend on a table when I really like it, you know, only paying two fifty for that? Good Lord. That's a, yeah, I tend to calculate, like, the points per hour that I do after I download anything, you know, and uh, on those pin, I mean, that's... That's a steal. That's, yeah. That is a complete steal for those things. By the way, while we're talking about, you were talking about, like, not knowing the, the rules set behind uh, certain pinball machines, which is totally classic for, like, real-life machines. Uh-huh. Uh, I just wanted to mention to the, uh, any listeners, if they haven't gone to the Internet Pinball Database, which is, uh, if they go online, it's, uh, I think it's ipdb.org, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, uh, that is like the Internet Movie Database, but it's for pinball machines. 
And uh, so you basically have every machine that has ever been created. And I'm thinking real life, by the way, uh, not, not video pinball, although I haven't checked. It wouldn't surprise me if they have some video pinball on there. But if you're ever curious about, like, seeing, you know, uh, the history of pinball or just, you know, who developed this or pictures of or whatever, go to the uh, Internet Pinball Database. It's pretty damn amazing. And uh, and actually, the Wikipedia page for pinball is also really, really informative and really, really good to read. So You know, I want to go there now to look something up, but I, I wonder if you can help me with this. So the, my first pinball table, I mean, where I got into it, I remember the Atari <laughs> 2600. Uh, you know, I had one of those, and I remember that pinball mode. And I think I vaguely even remember that little Fisher-Pricey toy thing you were talking about. Uh-huh. But But where pinball first grabbed me, let's see, I would have been in... Sixth grade, so doing quick math, I guess you're 12 years old in sixth grade, 78, is this right? So this must have been around 1978. Is this the backseat of the Buick? Is that, is that where you're not, like? Nothing quite so embarrassingly personal. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, and I don't know if I did my math right. You know, maybe earlier than 78. Uh, but anyway, mid-70s, there was a table, I believe, called... Uh, Royal Flush, like a mm-hmm. poker-themed table. Does that ring any bells? Is that oh, a yeah. real? Oh yeah, absolutely. I know exactly which machine you're talking about. Oh, I mean, Royal now, Flush is an awesome machine. It's a. Now tell me about it. Who makes that, and was it considered a good machine? Oh, Last... there you go. You just lost me. I mean, okay. like Royal Flush uh, is an is an older machine. My guess. Oh God. Uh, but that's know. an established machine. Like that's a machine. Oh yeah. That people yeah, know. Yeah. Okay. Royal Flush is sort of. I would say that was the uh, the rock star machine of its day. Uh, ah. Uh, that that is a that was probably a, a, one of the best smelling machines. So if you if you go to uh, like I said the Internet Pinball Database, but if also if you uh, Royal Flush actually I think they ended up making like two or three different versions of it. Uh, for people that have not, if, if you're anywhere near Vegas, uh, if you can go to the Pinball Hall of Fame uh, that is there, that is an amazing an amazing spot. Um, the, the owner of that I think has about two, and this is the part where everybody's going to yell at me online for getting this wrong. <laughs> I think that guy owns about 2,000 machines, and he rotates in about 300 different machines every, like, six months. And uh, in that in that venue, you can actually find, like, the different versions of Royal Flush that are in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can actually see it generationally. You can see, like, the very first Royal Flush machine, and then there's, like, a sort of like books. You know, there was a second edition and a third edition simply because that machine was so popular and so well-loved. So, ah, right, right. Um, but, yeah, you know, that's a great machine. Um, well, what I remember about it is, uh, you, you know, when I was in school in Arkansas, it was during uh, desegregation. So I would have to get up really early, get on a bus. A lot of times, you know, my school was way across town. Uh, it was just a, you know, it, was a, it took a long time for me to get to school, and I would have to spend a lot of time in the mornings waiting at a bus stop. So at one point we lived in an apartment building, and I remember uh, where I had to wait for the bus, there was a 7-Eleven across the street. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember going into that 7-Eleven, and with whatever quarters I had, A, buying these, and I imagine they were awful, these microwave pancakes. Like, I loved that. And then spending whatever I had left playing uh, the Royal Flush Machine. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, no, that totally brings back memories. I mean, people don't, people, you kids nowadays have no idea. <laughs> like, I used to go into, like, the sketchiest, the worst, like, diviest places. I would go into, like, back when 7-Elevens used to have actual, like, arcade machines. and But, I mean, I'm talking, like, <laughs> like again, not just bowling alleys, but I'm talking like laundromats. Yep. <laughs> and I would end up going into this place in which my mom would look at me like, "Are you really going into there?" And I'd be like, "Yes, I am," because I see a machine in the background. <laughs> you know, um, but it, yeah, I mean, like these—the ability to grab a quarter and go get like a Slurpee 
and go play. Oh pinball. God, yes, yes. Oh my God, and go play pinball for like you know three hours. I mean, I everybody talks about their misspent youth. I mean, my misspent youth was was that right there. I mean, that is exactly what it was. You know, and I'm going to college 20 years later. Than ever. But it's like, there you go. Well, now, Scott, this is actually going to segue into the random question of the week, which uh, isn't so random since it actually is a segue here. I'm so, so excited for this. You have no idea. Like, I'm prepared for this. There's no way you can prepare for this. I can't imagine what you did, but so here you go. This is going to tie in. Uh, okay, ready for that? Here we go. Scott McKinnon, mm-hmm. what things have you thrown at cars oh no um what things have i thrown at cars oh my god now is that is that a weird because i don't i don't well answer the question then i'll explain, <laughs> is that I'll, weird? explain I'll explain my thinking in a minute i, I don't know okay. that this uh, involves no wait, is like, we're talking like do you want a complete list or do you just thinking like i have thrown i have thrown beverages at cars i would say i've probably at some point thrown fruit uh and i think at some point i have thrown a book at a car uh yeah yeah okay so so now that you've answered i'm wondering because because i'm thinking of again myself at that bus stop in arkansas as a a mischievous kid i i think certainly when it snows kids throw snowballs at cars oh yes of course of course obviously i've thrown my species at cars well well, man your your youth is way more (laughs) 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 well wait what's this about beverages fruits and books when did you throw because i I haven't thrown anything at at a car since (laughs) i was older than i guess 10 actually you know what that's not true i'm sure i'm actually now remembering something i did when i was probably about 16 that i probably shouldn't say but, but no, no, no. <laughs> well, so I'll, I'll explain mine in a minute. But what I'm thinking of is, is when when you're when you're a, a ute, you know, a, a, a misguided kid, you want to throw things at cars, don't you? Isn't that just part of being a, a, a kid? And I'm, maybe it's a boy thing. I don't know if women on the forum have this, but as a matter of fact, I'm sure girls don't throw things at cars. But don't all oh, boys? No, no, no. It's got to be that way. No, 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 you know. Really? Well, that's what I'm wondering. So when did you throw uh, fruit? A book and beverages at cars when you were a kid, or yeah, when I well, fruit and uh, a book, I think would probably be when I was a kid. Um, Why would you but, throw a book at a car? Don't you need that book? I think the more important question is, do I need the car? <laughs> um, no, no. Um, I think that they. I, well, the book was back when I was in school, and I probably had a textbook at some point, and just got you know in my in my angry. I see. My angry youth, I probably threw a textbook at a, at a car. Uh, the beverage was definitely when I was a bartender. I mean, there were some wild times. Uh, we used to party quite a bit, party quite a bit in my youth. Why were you throwing something at a car? Because you didn't like the person in the car? Because it's what you do. I mean, like when you're drunk, like how are you gonna like? I, I had a logical reason for climbing up onto the roof and taking my pants down. I mean, there's like no, there's like no. At some point, I mean, I'm just being honest. It's like I think at some point one of my friends was probably driving away, and I, I took my pint of beer and decided to, you know, to. I see. It was in their car with some sort of, you know, schlitz. It wasn't like a random car. It wasn't like oh, it no, wasn't like, like the kids hiding behind the fence who throw the snowball <laughs> at, at the, the car that comes no, along. No, I see. No, it's like, no, no, it was definitely like amongst friends, you know. Because um, that's what I'm thinking of as, as a kid. I think I was a terror in that I would throw snowballs, and I'm sure at one point we threw rocks. I remember once throwing – in Arkansas, you could buy fireworks all mm-hmm. through the summer – uh, you, there would be these stands that would open up, and you just run up and you you buy whatever you want. And I remember at one point throwing smoke bombs at cars. You know, you light them and you throw them, and hopefully you hit the car. And 
uh, and if the car stops, you run away. Uh, and I remember at one point throwing a smoke bomb at a car and the smoke bomb rolling across the street into some grass and the grass catching fire and the fire spreading <laughs> and the fire going to trees and a fire truck coming up and being convinced that, you know, they, they just put it out. It was no big deal, but being convinced I was going to be arrested any day for, for that. Uh, so I'm just assuming that that's part of the experience of being a, a boy is at some point you do stupid things, you throw things at, at cars. No, absolutely. And I assume now that you're a member of Al-Qaeda. <laughs> you know what? I wonder that, that these days that could be uh, construed as, as terrorist activity. No, well, here's no, the really bad one I was thinking of, Scott. Um, I worked as a, 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 and I could probably be arrested for this. I'm sure this is at least a misdemeanor. Cool. I once worked at the, the local newspaper in Arkansas as a copy boy, and, and that basically means you just sit there late at night, and you're at the copy desk where the editors are working, and every now and then they say, copy, and they hand you a piece of paper, which is a story, and you carry it down to the printers downstairs who do all the layout stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And these days, I'm sure they do it a whole different way. But that it basically, it was a job where you stay late at a newspaper office doing nothing. And every now and then, you have to run an errand. So one night, me and one of the other copy boys, and this guy was a bad apple. This guy, I'm sure, is like in jail somewhere now. We went up on the roof of the building. This is a downtown three-story building, I think, and the roof had little gravel on it. And we would take little pieces of gravel and try to drop them on moving cars. And this progressed from taking handfuls of gravel and letting it fall onto cars. Mm -hmm. And then this progressed to picking up whole scoops of gravel and flinging it at cars. Right. And I remember taking a handful of gravel, flinging it at a car, and the car's back windshield oh. was me. Oh, God. That was the last time I ever threw anything at a car. Uh, and me and, and Brad, the guy I was working with, just ran downstairs and, and, and intently sat at the desk trying to look like we'd been there all night oh, in the event that some angry driver would, would, would come up uh, looking for us. Yeah, so, now, how old were you at the time? So that would have been, I guess, 16, maybe? Yeah. So, you know, I, I totally, and I, I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but I have to tell you, it's like there was a, when, when I used to live in Anchorage, Alaska, and there was a time in which we had, I was, I think it was about 11, mm -hmm. and uh, winter was coming, and my, uh, my father had taken out all these, like, extra, I don't know how this house worked, but there were extra panes of glass that he used to put up on all the windows uh, uh, for when winter was coming. And, of course, we're renting this house, so this is even worse, but... He had taken all these panes of glass out of the garage and had propped them up underneath each window, <laughs> um, you know, going around the whole house. And my brother and I, because we are intelligent <laughs> human beings, and this is what kids do, went around with rocks and broke each of these windows. I mean, going around the house, just like, I mean, just like assassination, just like <laughs> one by one, just for like... Just went and just broke these rocks going all the way around. And we, I mean, this is the way kids work. We did not think we were doing anything wrong. Like, <laughs> it makes perfect we were sense. Like, that's we what you do when you prop up a pane of glass. That's what it's there for. This just makes perfect sense. <laughs> and, and I remember when my father, like, found this. And it's, it's, it's just so, like, it's, it's crystallized in my mind that where my father was looking at us and his anger was so great. And his confusion was so great that he didn't even yell at us. You know, he just looked at us like, I have raised children that are inhuman, you know, that, that have no common... I mean, it's just like, you could just see the, the Cascadian fa failings of my father going on in his head with all this stuff of just about, like, like how this was so wrong on so many levels. And he just asked us, he's like, why? 
you know, and we were like, that, uh, and of course, you know, of course, we're frightened, we're terrified, we can see all this stuff going on in his mind, and we just look, we're both, I don't know why I broke all the windows. There's <laughs> all the windows and some rocks, you know. The answer to that is, why not? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's just, no, absolutely. That's just I mean, boy logic. That's such <laughs> <totally>. like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, all right, so that will be a thread in everything else. Uh, what things have you thrown at cars? Okay. If, if you, uh, no, Scott, you're eligible for the drawing. Okay, so here's the rule. This is going to seem awfully contrived, but I, I know folks can do it. The rule is, Scott, you're eligible anyway, but to be eligible for the drawing for a free game, your answer to the question, what things have you thrown at cars, must include at some point the letters X, Q, and J. That's, uh, that's what, are, what are the phonetic alphabet things? X-ray, kumquat, what, what's Q? Uh, extremely queasy. No, but like if you're talking on a police radio or something, or if oh, you're in the, if you're oh, like God, in the Air no, Force. X-ray, uh, Quincy. Quebec. 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 Well, there's different ones for, I think, civilian pilots, oh, my God. for the no. police. So there's different phonetic no. alphabets. Okay. <laughs> well, so uh, X-ray, Quebec, and J. J uh, Bird. Jugular. Jugular, uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, uh, Juno, I think, actually is the right one. Oh, oh, very good. Very good. That's one. Yeah, very good. Some pacifist you are. Yeah. <laughs> was it Qui? What was Q? Uh, Quebec. Well, I know in one okay, of the okay, yeah, alphabet. Okay. I don't think that's the military one, uh, right. I think. But, but anyway, your, your post answering the question must include an X, a Q, and a J. You'll, okay. you'll go in the drawing for a free game. Oh, by the way, Scott, uh, I just want to ask... Uh, I haven't followed the national stuff except for the really prominent things. How did your uh, Tuesday go with the elections? What, what, was, what happened to you guys up there in Oregon? Anything dramatic? Oh, uh, let's see. I think DeFazio ended up winning. Um, uh, nothing. Anyway, I have to say Oregon is pretty damn liberal. And so I, I can imagine Oregon, yeah, probably. I can't see it shifting too dramatic. There's not a whole lot that I actually kind of ignore the whole thing because I just sort of – we're, we're sort of uh, – we know what's going to happen way before it happens. So uh, – well, plus you had to study for midterms. Yeah, I've been a little, I've been a little busy, Tom. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, I have to say, like, I, I kind of posted this on the boards, but I haven't, I have not touched Pinball FX, and I just want to, I, I, I'm going to get on there tomorrow night. All right, and I'm going to. Oh, by the way, but before this whole Pinball FX thing happened, I had six friends on Xbox Live. All right, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm serious. I'm like, I'm a little anti. I'm not antisocial. I just don't. You know, I'm not a social butterfly or whatever. I don't go to the cons and you know and meet Ken Levine and have him added as my. You know, and by the way, I'm so glad you added me. Thank you. I will. I will add you. Sure you will. I now, sure you I will. now have like like 280 friend requests because of Pinball FX. And not just that, and this is the worst thing ever, mm -hmm. is that when somebody beats my score, they for some reason feel the need to yep. private message me and tell me. And I got a guy that it was all in German, and all I could see was, like, the score and, like, Secrets of the Deep, yep. and, like, everything else was in German telling me just how bad I am at pinball. Well, do you know what that is? That's an automated feature. No. Yep, when you beat someone's score, you are invited to press X and send them a message, and all you do is you press X, and it automatically sends them a message saying, oh, hey. Why'd you tell me this? Yeah, you, you thought some guy actually <laughs> typed that out. No, it's bell of the ball there for a little No, it actually, it, it actually composes the message. You know, hey, Stink Mikado, I beat your score of blah, blah, blah. It's Secrets of the Deep on this tape. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go cry in the shower. The thing is, I was using that, like when because I, I got the game fairly early and was spending time with it. 
and there were only a few people on the on my friends list who are playing. So I was sending those messages right and left. I was like, oh, yeah, take this, Hetz00. You know, take this, Denny Atkins. I was like, you know, suck it, Forge Forsaken. I was like sending those messages out right and left. And now it's payback time. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm in the fetal position. Thank you, Tom Chick. See, you'll, you'll be fine. You, you, and by the way, I think one of the, the huge services you're doing is you're getting your, your uh, I think it's the super score up so high that anybody who adds you is going to get a huge padding to their wizard score. And I'm, I'm counting on you, Scott, to uh, help me unlock uh, uh, the, the wizard robe. That sounds good. I have the wizard rope. By the way, if anybody on QT3 wants to add me, please send me a little message just saying QT3, and I will be very happy to add them as a friend. In fact, what I did was, and I know, I know this is kind of, all these people were just using me for my body. I mean, they were, they were just, it's, you know, uh, I added a bunch of people up to the point where I could get the wizard robe, and then I immediately started deleting a bunch of people. And uh, so basically now I'm going to take my friends list back down to the original six. But uh, so if I end up deleting somebody from QT3 that has already added me, uh, feel free to just send me a really quick PM or a message on on the on there that just says QT3. That's all. There's three characters. Just add that, and I'll be happy to add you. And in fact, I'd really like that because I I I know that I kind of I, I <laughs> if you look at my QT3 record, I've only maybe put like three or four hundred messages up there. I don't want to feel like a troll, but I I go to quarter to three every single day. And uh, not not to give you too much of a back rub here, Tom, but I really love it. And so uh, it makes me really happy. And thanks again for the uh, podcast. Uh, I know that I was kind of at the bottom of the list there. Uh, no, no, I, I'm so glad that there was someone who was willing to talk pinball and who knows as much as you you do. I, I really uh, enjoy that. So well, I love me my pinball. So thank anyway, you. thanks again. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. And it was cool meeting you. And uh, we will be seeing you around on the forum. Sounds good. Take care, Scott. Bye-bye. One baby to another ten